0: So I want to welcome everyone to after COVID, after Protest, existing as, li- as Black Lives That Matter, young people, young power. So I'm so happy that you guys are here. I'm Queen, a host at Black Box Radio, and we're gonna introduce ourselves. Um, I would like, since this is my young group, for you guys to say how old you are, um, if that's if you don't mind, so we can you know the kind of ages that we're that we have here, so that'd be great. But if not, I understand. I don't know about the doctors. Uh, <laughs> so I'm gonna go first. I'm Queen from Black Box Radio, and I'm just gonna say old. We don't have to say any age for me. <laughs> All right, guys, so um, anybody wanna start? Ethan,
1: you start. Uh, my name is Ethan. Um, I'm 17 years old, and I'm, and I'm a senior high school now.
0: Okay, what high school?
1: Christopher, Jesuit High School.
0: Okay. All right. All right. Let's go to Rochelle Ford.
2: Hi, everyone. Um, My name is Rochelle. I'm a second year, well, rising second year law student at the University of Baltimore. And I am 22,
0: turning 23 in a couple of weeks. Excellent. 23. All right. Justice Georgie.
3: Hello, amazing people. My name is Justice Georgie, and I am a, I'm a sophomore at the Great uh, Morgan State University, and I am
0: 19 years old. All right. All right, Boda Dawn, Talk to us.
4: Hello, everybody. My name is Boda Dawn. I am a model youth advocate, mentor, fashion enthusiast, and I am 19 years old. Excellent.
0: All right, Miss Sadeja Cooper-Lee.
5: Hi, guys. My name is Sadeja Cooper-Lee, and I'm a recent graduate of the University of Maryland College Park, and I'm 22 years
0: old. Brother Mosiah.
6: Peace and power, family. It's a pleasure to be on here. Uh, Thank you, Queen. And uh, I'm uh, from Baltimore. 30 years old. I'm the founder of the Black Wolves, and I'm also the founder of the RBG Human Flag Day.
0: Excellent. So now we're going to bring in our psychologists.
7: Let's talk to them. Uh, So we're going to start with you, Brother Evan. All right. so I'm Evan August. I'm a doctoral candidate in clinical psychology specializing in forensics and also the uh, chair elect for the Association of Black Psychologists Student Circle. And I'm 28, so I'm not Not in the old range yet, but a few years, I'll get there. So, yeah. You got to watch that old word, bro. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. uh,
0: Dr. Tania, introduce yourself.
8: Greetings, family. My name is Tania Lodge. I am a psychologist. I'm a black psychologist. Um, I want to make sure I say that. Mm -hmm. Um, It means something as it relates to the conversation we're going to have. I am... um, calling in from Akron, Ohio. I am the clinical director of a community mental health agency here where we um, service primarily the black community using African-centered approaches. Um, I'm an active member of the Association of Black Psychologists. I actually serve in the role of student um, circle board co-advisor as well as um, an initiative called the Sabubona Healing Circles with my co-chair, Evan, um, that we are implementing in response to the double pandemic that we are doing. Um, I am trained in clinical and forensic um, psychology, but again, my training um, and practice is definitely rooted and grounded in African-centered psychology. Hmm. Excellent. Dr. Adisa.
9: Greetings, family. My name is Dr. Adisa Anderson. And I just go by first name basis, so you can call me Adisa. I'm a licensed psychologist. I am based currently in the Bay Area, California, so Northern California, originally from Long Beach, California, so as in Southern California. And I've lived all around the country, so I've spent some time in the South, in Georgia, and also in the Northwest, Um, So currently, professionally, I work as a licensed staff psychologist at the University of California, Berkeley, um, commonly known as UC Berkeley, and I specialize as also being a Black-identified psychologist, so that is critical for us to name that and and situate ourselves within that space. And I also lead our, serve as the lead for our African-American mental health team and I also serve as the mental health liaison for the African-American Student Development Office at, uh, at UC Berkeley. And uh, work on a number of different projects that are essentially focused on um, destigmatizing mental health and increasing access to mental health for, for a right of different marginalized communities, but especially for, for black communities. So my specialization would be in terms of working around issues that support and expand our awareness around African mental health and increase people's awareness. And also like to basically mitigate like mental health issues that have unfolded in terms of collective trauma um, over the years uh, within our communities, especially because we, some of, you of us come from communities where we don't, we don't grow up really hearing about mental health um, or, and you know, we don't really hear messages about that. So it's been really important to see how we can um, use language that helps empower people around these kind of spaces. Um, and uh, other than that, um, it's just a pleasure and an honor to share space with you all today. Um, so look forward to engaging in this in this discussion. I, I am also an active member of the Association of Black Psychologists, um, as well as some other national uh, associations, such as uh, the American Psychological Association, um, which which includes some specific divisions, um, such as the Society of Counseling Psychology. And um, Division Forty Five um, Society of like the study of race and culture and ethnicity. Um, so so thank you and an honor and pleasure to be with you all today.
0: Well, wow, thank you, Brother Anderson. You're doing a lot over in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I learned today, guys, that it is Mental Health Wellness Month. I actually didn't know that. Um, so, but it's so applicable to what we're talking about today after COVID, which we're not after COVID. Um, I thought we would when I scheduled this in June (laughs) and I thought about this, but we're still in COVID and, and actually we're still protesting. There's still some protesting going, going over in the country, which is amazing. And, but we are still existing as black lives that matter. And, um, so it's important to kind of talk about where do we go from here and kind of unpack where we are as, um, young people. I want to hear you guys' depiction of where do you? How do you feel with the cl- the climate, the temperature of what's going on in this country when it comes to racism and um, what we're going through with the pandemic? How do you feel we're going to go forward? What's next for young people? And how we? I think we have a great time in in, in um, history. We have leverage as Black people because they're finally like listening to us, and and there is there's room for our plight. So how do you guys? How are you guys unpacking what's going on right now? So, who wants to jump in?
5: I can jump into that. Okay. Um, Again, my name is Sadeja Cooper Lee, and, you know, currently this is um, day four of Camp GTC, which is aimed to teach kids the relation of playing video games to learn how they work, so teaching them how to code the games as well, um, and technology, so hardware and software. So we are trying to, the age range is between 13 and 18, and we are trying to implement um, interest and intrigue in the young folks here in Baltimore City with technology, with STEM in general. Um, So that is one stride I represent. RPG and ANX A- A- Reality. So, ANX Reality, RPG is Revitalized Purpose and Guided. It's for young entrepreneurs um, as well as community service members. And ANX Reality is another entity of mine that is aimed towards teaching kids coding, digital modeling, and um, mechanical and electrical power supply. So this program, Camp GTC, Gaming, Tech, and Coding, is specifically for coding in relations to video games. But um, it's more to come with that. I also have something to say about mental health. And uh, I just graduated with my degree in architecture at University of Maryland. And I will say that it is evident that your built environment – is a leeway to how you identify yourself and how you look at yourself. It is a reflection of yourself. And so given that we have, we are in a city where there are a lot of abandoned buildings, um, a lot of mess on the ground that needs to be cleared up. uh, I would like, or I have already started the process of trying to beautify the city through painting abandoned buildings, painting buildings in which you can see from the front to the back, so that we can create an environment that feels worth by, worthwhile and feels valuable so that these young people, middle-aged, older, and different can feel valuable within themselves. Because if they're living in something that um, others look at and judge, they feel scrutinized and judged just like that built environment. And I feel like that does um, that does interject into someone's mental health, of course, the value in which they place themselves. So those are a few strides that I have been involved in and some notes that I have taken considering um, just being born and bred in Baltimore, my education, um, being with my peers, being with myself. So, yeah, that's my commentary on this topic.
0: <laughs> okay, so I hear... You're gonna uh, hear technology. Um, you're teaching STEM. You're teaching coding, and then mm-hmm. al- also beautifying Baltimore. The decay in Baltimore makes you feel invalued, like you're not valued.
5: It, yes, it can make peop- a lot of people feel invalid. I mean, it's just it's just a natural human um, perspective, though. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're weak-minded or strong-minded either way if you are in a location in which it is a reflection of yourself and that reflection isn't privy to, you know, you elevating yourself, then that's probably something that you're going to fall into mentally.
0: Hmm. Good evaluation. All right. Justice, talk to us.
3: Well, I know with me, Um, I've been... Like, with me during this whole pandemic, like, I've been affected kind of, like, dramatically because as soon as everything had happened, I had to leave campus, which was, like, a major shift in my life because I was having, like, the time of my life. And, like, a week before everything, um, like, there was, like, there was kind of, like, whispers of this thing called what? Corona, like COVID, that was whispers, but like none of my friends took it seriously. But my mom always watched the news and she was like, Jay, look, I don't know what's going on, but just be safe. Like, watch who you're around, put hand sanitizer on. I was like, all right, I'm telling my friends, you know how childish people are. They like coughing and sneezing and stuff, just playing around. So then the day before uh, midterms, boom. We got an email saying, y'all, y'all got to leave. And we was like, oh, snap, this is real. <laughs> and then we had to leave. And this whole thing has been, like, really crazy because a lot of stuff has happened in 2020, you know. Um, like, a lot of stuff has happened. But once when I, I got home, you know, I had to challenge myself because I'm like, all right, cool, you know, like, how can I work on myself? Like, before we started the Zoom, you know, I told you, Miss Queen, like, I'm trying to better myself as a person. You know, so I had to ask myself, "My, like, all right, you know, like I don't want to fall, go on the wayside. You know, what can I do? You know, so, um, so my internship, Urban Alliance. I asked them. Um, I asked one of my mentors, could she call me every week, and can she ask the question, what moves have I been making?' You know, so I can re, uh, so I can like evaluate myself on like what I'm doing. You know, so. Every week she asked me like what moves I've been making and, and and like and like some some weeks um I have an answer. And what's why I didn't have an answer, I felt bad because I'm like, no, there's there's literally like seven days in a week and twenty four hours, you know, each day. Like why am I not being productive? So that literally shifted me into like a spiral in the right direction. So like um I know I've been, like, featured, like, in these past few weeks, like, I've been featured on CNN, um, as well as uh, I created my own business. I started selling my photography um, with Micah, uh, worked with other nonprofit organizations, you know, just trying to, like, not only better me, but I'm also trying to be, you know, one of the beacons, you know, um, trying trying to, like, set a standard for the youth in Baltimore, you know, and trying to, like, give back to my community as well. And just, like, with everything, like, I've not only been holding myself accountable, but, like, you know, the people who was in my life, like, all of my friends, like, I always ask them, like, what moves have they been making, you know? Because it's so easy just to not do nothing. It's just, it's, it's so easy, you know? I always ask my friends what what they're doing. They always say, I'm playing in 2K. Mm-hmm. Ain't nothing wrong with 2K. But as long as you you doing something productive, you know, like, like, during the day, you know, like, have fun. So, really, i just been trying to, like, better myself. Even right now, like, I'm in driving school, you know, because like I'm trying to learn how to drive. So, That's yeah, cool. I've just been
0: trying to make moves, really. Like to hear that. I definitely yeah. like to hear that. Make the moves. All right, Michelle Ford, tell us where you're at. Talk to us. <laughs> so, um,
2: I haven't really been... Um, trying to do anything um, not productive, but trying to, you know, go through any type of transformation during, okay. you know, quarantine or anything, just because um, I've been met with a lot of frustration. Um, because we've been, uh, well, me, myself, I've been, you know, a part of this movement for so long. You know, I, I was in public school with. Um, majority, you know, white counterparts, white students, white teachers, um, and was, you know, trying to advocate Black Lives Matter or just things with um, within that realm, and no one was listening. Mm-hmm. Even throughout college, my whole four years at Towson University, I was trying to make the school better for um, racially diverse, specifically Black students, and I was met with a lot of, um, like, it was, like, it was controversial what I was doing. And so now I'm in law school and someone else dies. Someone else is killed. And now everyone is listening. Mm. And now it's like the whole world is shifting after I've felt so much burnout from high school, like ninth grade, 10th grade. um, And it's just been frustrating. And so now as a law student, um, That's, you know, all I am right now is like, not like all I am, but you know what I mean? Like I'm not trying to, um, or I haven't been trying to, I guess, transform myself because I just feel, um, kind of betrayed by the world Mm -hmm. in a sense. And like now everyone is, everyone is now coming to me, asking me so many questions. But when I had answers to these questions, when I actually felt like giving them answers, they weren't listening. And so it's just frustrating, you know, being in a world where everyone is, I think, so late. I mean, obviously we're late, we're hundreds of years late, but I think um, it's just frustrating just having, you know, a pandemic and a pandemic that also disproportionately affects people of color, especially Black people. It took for this to happen, for someone, for people to, you know, pay attention to, oh, the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, like, it's just, I think, frustrating. Um, but I'm grateful for, for, you know, the change. It's hard to be actively a part of it and not feel so burnt out from all the work that I did put in, especially um, during my undergraduate years, um, I was the SGA president my senior year at Telson. And I was only like the third black person to ever have that um, position. But it was hard because I felt like I owed the school so much like racial justice. So I didn't really get a chance to do a lot more other things that I wanted to do because I felt like I had this responsibility to, you know, be that black person that would change the lives of other black students. And so now I'm at a point where I'm, I'm just really burnt out and I've been kind of like taking a break, kind of, you know, just reevaluating, you know, how can I move forward and how can I not, how can I remain grateful, but also give, my time, give myself time to relax and not feel pressured to do anything during this time.
0: Hmm. You said a lot. You said a lot. You said you feel betrayed. Um, you you are activist. I feel like that too. A lot of ways. I've been black for, and now it's sexy to be black, you know. And you, know, I feel, I I feel you. But um, I think in a lot of ways we 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 feel as if people didn't hear us, and it had to have something tragic to happen for them to hear us. But we still have to stay in the in the work, you know. So I know you're not feeling it right now. But you'll come back because oh, you're I'm passionate not, about I'm it. I'm not, not you know? in the
2: work. I'm just saying, like, um, let, let me just rephrase. I'm not not in it. Okay. I'm not trying to transform myself to do anything that I wasn't doing before. Got it. Got so it. So I'm taking this, like, quarantine to just be a social distance, just pure social distance, you know? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, and so you're I'll, I'll, too. I'll always. Yeah, I am working. It's it's an online um, legal internship, but it's like a real thing. So I'm on my computer all day long, on the phone all day long. So, um, yeah, (laughs) my off hours are are literally just being in the house. And I think that's okay, too, just to, you know, make sure we remain um, also focused on the importance of our mental health and trying to de-stress when we're not. Um,
0: really doing anything? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so any of the psychologists want to say anything? I'm gonna go to Messiah. If you guys you guys still unpacking, what you want to hear? What everyone says first? So okay. So Messiah, let's let's hear what you got, bro, brother Messiah.
6: All right. So do me a favor, rephrase that question for me, or just sure. repeat the
0: question. Okay. The question is, you know, the titles after COVID after protests um, and existing as Black Lives That Matter. So I'm trying to find out from, you, from your perspective, where are we going from here? What's next? Um, you know the climate of this country, what's going on, and, and also racism just didn't start. It's my, it might be recognized more now, but of course we've been going through this since the beginning. So what do you feel now is the next movement for young people in, the, in our community?
6: Well, that, that young brother's T-shirt right there, I want, I want to really start my conversation off of his T-shirt. It says, legalize being Black.
0: Let's do it.
6: That's, that's powerful. Ethan, I didn't know
0: you came like that, bro. You came hard. Go ahead.
6: Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, a little history, 17th century was when the term Black was uh, allocated or given to us as a people. Um, before then, we wasn't called black, you know, you was wherever you was from, Africa, whatever, whatever country you was from, that's what you were. Um, Bacon's rebellion created the term black and white, um, basically because there was a rebellion of whites and blacks coming together, and they was tearing down the government. They were tearing down uh, uh, the the colonial power at that time, which was Virginia. So if people do their history, seventeenth century, Um, that's when really things started going even more downhill for our people. You had a time in the 17th century where blacks was having indentured servants that was white. You know, they was having family with white women, you know, and then once uh, Bacon's Rebellion happened, they made it illegal for blacks to have families with white people. Um, They also made it illegal for blacks to have horses. You couldn't own land. I mean, so much had changed simply because the people came together uh, up against the government and it wasn't just black, it was white and black. So I think um, this generation after this, this new generation, speaking of me for myself personally, um, I see see a, a time for radical change, extremism. And when I say radical change, meaning really evaluating how we've been doing things Uh, for the past hundred years and seeing what has not been working. Um, Lately, I've been particularly uh, joining with um, all different kinds of people, not just black people. You know, I'm, I'm that person. I was that beginning Malcolm. I was that beginning Malcolm that was, you know, saying, let's separate completely from whites, you know, because of the systematic oppression and basically who holds it in their hand. But with my experience and, and the diversity, I, I say really within this year, and especially with these uprisings, I've I've stood shoulder to shoulder with whites. And I would say that they were more out there, more so than my brothers and sisters, you know, who, who talked the talk real good, but they're not walking the walk. And I've had some conversations Wow. with um you these white brothers and sisters which I call them. And uh they have uh they have really, you know, just opened my mind to uh looking outside of what the media is trying to feed me and more so of my personal experiences. So I come to say that I believe this young generation, um, we we, we don't really need to be uh so pinned in on uh you know what happened in the civil civil rights era of 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 of, uh, of, of uh, just the hardships of our people, you know, understanding yes that uh, we we we've come a long way, but I don't believe that we should uh, just have a separatist mentality no more. I believe this young generation, we're gonna get done and away with racism. I believe we're gonna get done and away with. Even classism, we're, we're, we don't, we're not tolerating that. We're not handling that. And I believe through business, I believe through uh, innovation, I believe through uh, diversity and travel, getting outside of your city, getting outside of your state, getting outside of the country, getting outside of America, you know, traveling the world will expand your horizon. Uh, not, not getting away from though the fact of the matter that there is a, a old-minded generation that, that rules this nation. It's, it's, the, it's, the, gener- it's the mindset, though. See, it's, it's, not, it's not the color. The color winds up adopting the mindset. And, and the children of those people um, who are carrying on these old ways, they may wind up being white, but no child was asked to be born into no kind of family. You know what I'm saying? We didn't ask to be born into the world that we're in. You know, so it's the mindset that we gotta get away from more so than the color. And I think if we get away from them old-fashioned mindsets, them old ways of thinking, that uh, we can really evolve mindful evolution as a people and we won't be having some of them struggles that we've been having, having for centuries.
0: Okay, so I hear um, coalesce with other people, other than black people. Uh, mindful evolution, diversity, travel, innovation, business. Some of the things I heard from you, Messiah. Am I right? Yes. Okay. Bo the Don, talk to us.
4: Um, I was, I was absorbing everything. Y'all kind of did my little train off the tracks, but I'm going to try and bring it back together as much as possible. Um, and I'll start with, so so in a previous interview that I've done probably about a couple weeks ago, um, I was asked how I felt about my generation and what our role was in what I like to call civil rights part two. Um, and from everything that I've seen, because I was not on the front lines, y'all, I was very much an observer and just being well-informed because... I'm one who combats ignorance. I'm not really one to be outside. However, I do not tolerate ignorance and informing people is one of my best talents. Um, And the only word that I really could find to do us justice was the engineers of it all. Everything, everything that I've seen organized, the attention, there has been a youth on the forefront of that and it's devastating and exciting all in one it's it's an overwhelming emotion that I've been feeling since I want to say March really Um, because you know it's not new none of this is new Uh, we all know it's not new Um, I think the attention that it's gotten um, across the world is what's new and it was surprisingly shocking Um, Probably one of the most positive moments I felt because it was well deserved and long overdue. A part of me wish I had the goal to be on the front lines, Um, but I didn't. I just supported those who were on the front lines. Um, I had to take a lot of time to myself and reflect on my blackness and what that meant for me. Growing up, it wasn't that I didn't know that I was black, but more so that I just didn't know how I was tied to it. Um, I didn't really know what that meant for me. My mother, who is about yellow, she's just yellow. Um, She, however, you listen, you know, she's black and she's proud and she's always attempted to make me feel that way. But that's not really something that you can force upon someone. They have to grow into it. Um, and so just learning how to appreciate that and what it means for me that there is not one type of blackness, that your blackness belongs to you because that's what you are. Um, so that reflection was, it was a great epiphany for me. Um, mental health, man, I've been... Educating folks and dealing with it on my own time since I was diagnosed with clinical depression and anxiety in 2016. Um, It's one of those things that you just never know who. You can't put it past anybody and the effects that it has is different. It's one of those things in the black community that I so wish didn't have such a negative stigma around it because a lot of our family, and I'm talking about just people that you pass on the street suffer from it and they've been suffering for so long they become desensitized to it. And so now you're living in a home where your mom could possibly have bipolar depression disorder and you're trying to figure out why someday she's snapping on you. in this because mom hasn't been able to be diagnosed. Mom hasn't been able to go to therapy and unpack. The things that should be accessible were made inaccessible, And it wasn't on accident. Um, and so it's things like that that made me draft the project Healthy Minds for Happy Hearts. Um, and then the subdivision, which is I'm Pretty LLC, Um, which is based out of Baltimore. I am the CEO and founder of both. Um, It's been my, my mind child for about five years now. I first started thinking about it a little bit before high school and started developing the business plan for it throughout um, because of how it made me feel. I didn't know what it was for about two years before I was diagnosed, you know, um, It was difficult. It was a really ugly feeling. I couldn't figure out why I felt the way that I felt. Um, And it almost scares you because I was functioning. I'm still very much functional in my illness. And the way that I cope and combat it is with um, excessive productivity. So when the pandemic hit and I was no longer, I couldn't travel anymore. I couldn't go to work anymore. I had to sit and battle it in a whole different way all over again. I was, it was just me and it, face to face. And it was like, you see me? And I was like, yeah, I see you. And some days I was losing the battle, Um, quite frankly. um, I just had to keep remembering and reminiscing on when I could be um, productive. What, What did being productive at home look like for me? And it wasn't until May. When I finally started figuring it out, like, okay, I know that I can't do X, Y, and Z, so how is it that I can make myself understand that this is not permanent? That was the goal. Today is not permanent, so what can you do to remind yourself of that and every day look different? Um, And the fact that it's just, that's just my case, I know that there's so many others who feel similar or even worse, or even not as bad. And all of it is important at the end of the day, especially when you talk about black women um, and how we suffer for a lot of different reasons. Um, Women are my soft spot. I went to an all-girls middle school and all-girls high school, and we deserve better. Mm. We deserve better, and I've always been an advocate for black boys and black men because in our community, they too deserve better. Um, and so finding, um, how we can support each other at all ages, um, in all generations has been, it's been some great findings for me, just in some, some little social experiments I've taken on my own. You know what I mean? I'm mm-hmm. um, on a smaller scale, but to say the least, um, this pandemic civil rights part two has been useful. Hmm. very useful in my character development as a mentor as a model a youth advocate um it's been very very useful
0: okay
4: i hear that useful
0: it started out devastating and exciting and now it's useful and that's a great thing you got to make it useful excellent all right brother ethan you got this legalized being black you came in here with power so you gotta hit us tell us talk to us
1: Okay, so I'm going to answer the first part and then I'm going to answer the second part. So, Okay. like once Corona hit, that it was really good for me because I'm not going to lie to you or it's all of you. In school, I wasn't – I'm not going to say I wasn't smart, but I wasn't making the best decisions. Like, I wasn't paying attention in class. Uh, I wasn't doing all sorts of things. But when I got by myself at home with my mom, always checking up on me, I started to excel. Um, I almost got straight A's this year, which hasn't happened since middle school, which is pretty good. Mm. Um. And also, I got a job. I'm now job in driving school, so you know I want to be at least 18, so when by the time I get into college, I can start driving. And um, so that's, that's that's that part for the beginning. And the second part is, I feel like this whole racial climate, it's not going to change until at least I feel like I'm in my late 30s, primarily because a lot of the people that carry like these old ways of thinking or old mindsets that they're not dying out as fast as we thought they would. For example, like let's say somebody like Trump, right? We all know that. He's he's not, hopefully he's not going to get reelected, but you know he, he he's carrying that far right way of thinking that uh, immigrants this, immigrants that, black people this, black people that, but they don't realize that it's economic status and stuff like that that really affects it because I feel like through economic status and economic power it breeds racism and and it's just I mean that's just my take on it personally, but I could keep going, but I just want to keep it short, sweet, to the point that okay. through through having a top one percent and they're able to body it just it. And that's, that's is,
8: the
0: biggest part of it is economics everything dumps into the economics of it so that that is the, the engine for it all right so let's hear a little analysis so you guys said some amazing things I picked up a lot of pointers. All right, Dr. Tania, looks like you want to jump in.
8: (laughs) Yes, I um, appreciate the comments and just listening to the various ways that we've been impacted by the pandemic and all the racism that we are experiencing. Um, And also some strategies, there's some things we've been doing to to attempt to liberate ourselves and and survive it and overcome it because that's very important and necessary. What I want to say is we cannot talk about Black mental health without talking about racism and various forms of oppression. And being a Black psychologist, um, that's the belief that we experience mental health and psychological distress to the degree and at the rate and frequency that we do because of the experiences of various forms of oppression, which includes racism and classism. So when you even think about the socioeconomic status of of our people and poverty and how we're impacted. So it's very difficult and almost a disservice to try to separate the concepts. Our mental health is significantly impacted Um, by racism. And so when we're talking about the pandemic, I'll start there. Not only, again, was it evident that we were disproportionately impacted Mm -hmm. um, in terms of rate of how we contracted it and then the rate that we were dying. Look at how it was compared to um, white people. And again, it just highlight more the disparity related to medical conditions and access to medical care. again, various examples of oppression and how that plays out. Not only did it impact people, you know, livelihood and, you know, just daily interaction, people lost their jobs, Uh, homes were restructured or had to, you know, go back and figure things out with kids being home. Like the impact that it had on black people in particular um, has been significant. And so when you think about, depression and anxiety and and other forms of mental health distress, is reasonable that we will see an increased rate. Unfortunately, um, we internalize these experiences. And so one of the things that I think has been very concerning for me and one of the things I've been trying to educate our people is when these things present themselves and we're all on social media in you data with all this information, misinformation, um, whether we're listening to our state governors, um, each other, the information and how it gets presented is more detrimental to the black psyche because here it is again, oh, where there must be something wrong with us. What is wrong with black people that this pandemic happens and we are impacted greater than any other race? Right? There's a internalization process and a psychological impact that we're not always aware of consider or can speak about and so let's move forward to the police um brutality and, and the racial um violent crimes that's been happening towards our people right again although it's great that we are coming together we're unifying let's stand up let's push the movement let's protest um The psychological impact when we see our people being murdered, being lynched, when we see this and we hear about it, again, there's a psychological impact in terms of how we internalize that. And so it's heightened distress, which is why there's no... It's very clear as to why we see an increase in domestic violence for our people, child abuse and neglect for our people, substance abuse for our people. There's an increased rate in suicide for our people. Like there's significant implications when we think about not only has the pandemic happened, not only does racism continue, but how we internalize that makes the difference as it relates to what we then do about it. Are we going to be stagnant? Are we going to be stuck? Are we going to become more um, anti-self, anti-black? Or are we going to stand up um, and know who we are? Remember where we come from and who we are as a people. Again, this isn't new to us. Our ancestors have been there, done that. Our ancestors have also survived. And so when we learn about our history, what do we do? We have to be... Affirming, self-affirming, we have to reground ourselves in who we are culturally. And we do that by going back to ancient African and what was life like before we were enslaved, before we were colonized, right? Before Jim Crow era. What were we doing? How were we functioning as a people? Where did we place our value? right? It wasn't on all this materialism and competitiveness, individualistic spirit. It was more collective in nature. It was more harmonious. It was more about placing value on interpersonal relationship, the collective community. And so we have to go back and re-examine our history and remember who we are and where we come from, from ancient African history, not what we learn in our schools about what meant to be enslaved, because that as well has a psychological impact. If we look at ourselves as descendant of slaves, then it's no wonder that we can't stand up or feel good about who we are as black people and do the things that we need to do to survive or to liberate ourselves. If we are looking at ourselves as descendant for slaves, unfortunately, we're going to respond or act accordingly. And so racial socialization is very important. Regrounding and affirming ourselves and our cultural values, um, again, from ancient African history, is what's going to help protect us from racism. Because I'm not as hopeful as some of um, the panelists are in terms of it's going to go away. (laughs) I don't know about that. And I don't know that we should focus on that. What we should focus on is who we are And how do we work collectively and unify together as a people and begin to build our community and our race and our culture so we can develop our own, that we don't have to rely on or depend on what white people are doing and how they're moving, right? We have to focus on us, who we are, where we came from, and what things were like before we were enslaved and colonized. Because, again, if we do not, our psychological wellness – will significantly be impacted, and it's gonna be very difficult for us to move and make the needed progress that's going to uplift and liberate our people. Um, I, I wanna
0: say something. I hear from the young people, Dr. Addison, that they're, they're young, but they're already tired. They've already experienced racism. They're already infected. They're already, they see it. I, I hear from brother Ethan, he's, he's talking mm. real logical about his feelings and what, what he sees. And then now, how do, we, how do they move on? Because of course, I think when, it, when you're young, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's some generational trauma from our parents. You know, that was put on me. And I'm sure that these young folks have been, that I, we haven't even resolved the generational trauma that they've dealt with. So now they come into society and they're dealing with racism um, in their face. And they see the in the inequities in the system and they can normalize. They're starting to normalize it in, at in their young ages. So I'm hearing to them that from Rochelle, from Ethan, I'm hearing from they're tired. Bo, they're saying they're tired. So how do they go forward and kind of unpack where we at. Sorry to give you another question, but.
9: <laughs> no, it's, 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 that's a, that's a beautiful and, and important segue and, and, and thank you again. And I'm, I'm just feeling so moved by the words and this wisdom and the knowledge that, that, that the youth and everyone has been sharing on, um on this Zoom so far. It just really is a testament to like, the collective wisdom and knowledge that we have within our communities. And so, yeah. And so as I share, as I share from my perspective, I want to begin by grounding what I'm going to say by starting with a quote. And it's a quote from one of my, one of my nearest and closest dear mentors the the late this, this, this person was an important mentor to me. And this is the late Dr. Joseph White. And this is, for folks who are in the field of black psychology, many people know of this individual because this individual, Dr. Joseph White, if you have not heard from him, whether you're in the field of black psychology or not, this is an an integral person to know about because this individual was the godfather of black psychology. He was like the father of like, beginning to like expand our awareness around mental health from a black-centered and African-centered perspective within our communities. And so, one. And so, one of the quotes that Joe White would say is, "We cannot seek validation from our oppressors." He would say, "We cannot seek validation from the oppressor." So we, as Black folks, cannot seek validation from the oppressor. And and I want to start out with this because when, when I hear that, to me, it's such an important space to be centered in because it really highlights a lot of what we've been talking about. Because it, ta- it talks about, well, how do we see ourselves as black folks? And then how do we perceive ourselves? And who tells us how we understand ourselves on a, from a historical lens, on a psychological lens, on a sociological lens? How do we understand ourselves? Are we writing our, so in other words, are we writing our own stories and our own narratives of our communities? Or are we taking in the narratives and the communities of white supremacy and of other dominant oppressive spaces that try to dictate and tell us how we should be thinking about who we are and what our potential and what our capability is. And so when I hear we cannot seek validation from our oppressors, it's reminding me, it's reminding me that we constantly need to be developing our own strategies, and we need to be developing our own practices, and we need to be developing our own theories, and our own movements that uplift our people and not be reliant or dependent on external communities or forces to advance our our people. Um, And so so that's where where I'm grounding myself in, right? And so, for example, within black psychology, there's another uh, mentor that's named Dr. Thomas Parham that would talk about this like deficit model and this deficit approach. And what he meant by that is that a lot of times when we see ourselves when you read in the history books when you read about in the history books about our communities and you hear that we started from the within the our history started within the american slave trade then what does that do how does that impact how we see our potential and what our ability is in the future if we believe we started in a space of oppression mm-hmm. and then that really limits like really what we believe is our capacity for what we can expand to in the future and then that's seeing ourselves also from a deficit model right from a less than model in comparison to other communities but if we were to be taught truly beyond the Americas, and not to, not to put obviously there's a lot of strength and empowerment and resilience that came out of the out of the slave trade but if we were to go beyond that and that's a lot of the work that i've done and my family has done historically is basically educated folks and communities around advanced african civilizations beyond before the slave trade before we were here in america what are the ways that we were operating before we were colonized and and in some of like you know what, you know, Dr. Tania was saying basically, how can we start from that space, which is a much more empowering space that allows us to see our, see our, our power at a whole nother level? And, and, and but this, but this is but that, but it's not a mistake why we are not taught those things in a history book, right? Because if we were taught those things, that would give our communities and our youth and our and, and the people and, and everyone in our community so much power to mm-hmm. advance beyond where we currently are at. Sure, so we sure. are taught that we start, we start in the space of oppression, right? And we're taught that that's where we should stay. And so then we stay, we stay psychologically chained. So then there's another, there's another quote that says, it's basically talking about if, essentially it's more or less worth it saying, if you have psychologically shackled or chained a people, then you don't even have to have them physically enslaved. So, we have all these prisons and, and, and everything, the prison industrial complex and everything going on right now. But it's even beyond that, it's, it's on a psychological level. And this was why we keep bringing it to a psychological piece. Because if you have psychologically shackled and psychologically controlled what people believe they are capable of, then you have like beat them in a, in a battle, in a war, before we even get to the physical, like physical fight. And so it starts on such a psychological level. So that's why we got to be basing a lot of what we're talking about on a deep psychological soul spirit level. Like how are we feeling about ourselves? How are we thinking about ourselves? Um, And and how do we even believe in ourselves? Because so many people from our communities, I see it every day in the work that we do as black psychologists, we're feeling like demoralized. We're feeling defeated. We're dealing with the self-doubt. We're dealing with the collective trauma, the collective grieving the intergenerational trauma yeah. that, that, that we're talking about here. And, and, and this is, I'm also speaking personally, like as I tried to navigate, navigate through like graduate school and stuff, it's like many times I was moving through a space where it didn't understand how to support me as a black male and how to support me uh, in terms of like advancing through this, these predominantly white spaces. So then I was pathologized. I was pathologized as a Black male and, and made to feel and internalize my experience, that experience to believe that it was me who did not have the capacity to advance through these spaces. When the reality is that as I got mentorship and as I understood my experience more deeply, it was the problem, the toxicity existed in the environment. Yeah. It, was the, it was the context, it was the environment that was not providing adequate support for myself and so many of our black folks in our community. But then that is, but, the, but, but what happens is that's, that's put on us and it's projected onto us. And then we are scapegoated out of these spaces and we are, and, and, and there's a narrative built around us that we are not good enough to persevere through these spaces. But the reality is that we know that many of these academic spaces, many of these um, systemic spaces, whatever the, the system is, they're not built for us to survive. They're not built for us to thrive they're built to actually break us down and to and to like denigrate us along the way mm-hmm. so it actually requires us to have even so much more resilience as a black people the fact that we are actually still even here right now mm-hmm. with a, a halfway amount of sane like like um resilience it just shows you how strong our people are in in so many ways right yeah. so what this brings us around to is some pieces around we could say we can call it self-care. A lot of people have been talking about self-care like, you know, as a buzz term, you know, um, around the country, right? Yep. And so when I talk about self-care, one of the quotes that I like to think about and that comes is this quote from Audre Lorde. It's a quote from Audre Lorde. And Audre Lorde says, self-care is not self-preservation. I mean, excuse me, she says, self-care is not self-indulgence self care is not self indulgence she says that self care is self preservation hmm. self care is self preservation and that is an act of political warfare and so for me like that that like quote and that message it really really like resonates with me and so many people especially folks like black folks and black like folks in the healthcare field it really resonates right because A lot of times what we're taught in our communities is that we're we're given a different message. We're taught, you know, we're coming from collective spaces, collective communities where, yes, we're taught make sure we're doing everything to support everybody around us and the collective like community. Um, But sometimes we're also shamed or we're we're taught to neglect ourselves in the the experience and we're taught to put ourselves last or we're not really taught how to balance. We're not socialized or, or taught how to balance like the work that we do for others and the care and the love that we give to others and how to balance that with like, what, how are we filling up ourselves and how are we pouring into ourselves at the same time? And so anytime we can be doing something that helps to sustain us as people, especially during these times where we're engaging in so much activism and, and challenging systems of oppression, anything that we can be doing that can begin to help sustain us, that can begin to help preserve us especially in a world that is constantly psychologically, mentally, and emotionally, and physically attacking our Black people, anytime that we can do even the simplest thing to help us to make it to the next day, to help us to make it through the month, to help us to just get out of bed, because sometimes it's even hard for people to just get out the bed and just to, just to like make it outside. Anything that we can do that helps us to, to keep going in this struggle is an act of political warfare and it's an act of revolution as in, in our Black communities. So, that's that, so that piece really resonates for me in that way. And so in that, in that, what it brings me around to is, well, what are we doing? And the message in a lot of the work that I do is like really tapping into. So historically, our people, as we know, have had to, we've had to be a part of the, the, the movement. It's like they say, like, like we say, this is the movement and not a moment. It's a movement and not a moment. And historically, we've had to be a part of that, that movement. right? Mm-hmm. But the challenge that we've dealt with historically is that as we engage, as you have all our civil rights activists, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, you know, Harriet Tubman, and so many others, Frederick Douglass and so many others, and then the late John Lewis recently, right? Um, as we engage in that, and as we engage in this work, we end up becoming burnt out and we get overextended and we, get, and, and we, and we run ourselves ragged. And then that results in issues like what has been mentioned, like the increased, like, let's say, heart conditions, cancer, I'm talking on a personal level, like, like that that I've seen in our families and our communities, the increased like rates of heart, uh, heart conditions, cancer, diabetes, high blood pressure. And it's partly because we have not been, like we are not learning how to take care of our mental health and our self-care while engaging in this work of activism. So a lot of the work that I do at UC Berkeley and beyond that campus is, is providing workshops and providing psychoeducation and providing presentations that really help our communities, especially people who are engaging in activism, like figure out how can we engage in that activism and that critical work while also being sustained in that work and, and, and uplifting and continuing to empower ourselves while we engage in that work so we can continue to do that work on critical levels. right? And then, it's, and then I also spend a lot of time talking about helping people to figure out well, what is their role within a movement, right? We talk about activism, but a lot of times when we think about activism, we only think about it in one way. We think about activism as like, oh, the people out there protesting, the demonstrations. Um, but that's only one form of activism. And there's so many ways for us to lock into a movement, right? It can be the people on the front lines, the, the people protesting, and then we got people writing the government. And then we got people who are working on changing the policies, the, the racist and oppressive policies and practices. Mm-hmm. And then we got have the folks who are speaking and doing the interviews. So there's so many ways that we can engage and, and, um, and this activism and 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 all of this type of work and so it's also important for us to figure out how can we call different members of our community in instead of calling people out and alienating people from the movement. How can we help people to feel and feel a sense of belonging and a part of this greater um effort to advance our community, right? And so so it's talking about figuring out what is our role in terms of activism in this work and then how do we sustain ourselves through that work. And so then what that brings that what that brings me around to is this piece well, what are the communities or what are the spaces that have historically targeted our communities? And right now, y'all know one of those spaces that what we have seen happening re- like recently, and not recently, also historically, but it has gotten like a lot of media teaching more recently, is this ongoing police violence. And we see the police violence happening, and some people are wondering, well, why is this, well, why is this happening? And why is this happening in this way? But for us, when we have a historical perspective, we know, and we already recognize that this is not happening by mistake because many of these police forces and police spaces and police apparatus were designed actually to patrol and monitor our communities coming out of the slave trade, was initially established to patrol you know, enslaved individuals. And so right now what we see happening is just the continuation of that in a different form, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
9: And, and so in that, as we see that happening, what can we do to to interfere that or to like to mitigate that or to explore other ways of creating safety in our communities so that we don't have to be overly dependent on just the police to like provide safety or protection to our communities. So that's part of the work that I do as well at the the campus of UC Berkeley and beyond. I've been heavily involved with actually working with committees with one of the committees is called the Independent Advisory Board on Policing and Community Safety. And essentially, this is a board whose goal and purpose is to help monitor and check the way the policies and practices that police on the campus and in the community are using, especially to, to interact with marginalized and black communities. And then this is a, this is a board in a space that is also here to develop more effective practices that, that, that basically create um, wh- like practices that are more sensitive to marginalized communities. So in other words specifically what I mean is we've been talking about mental health on this call. Well, the ways that many police spaces around this country have operated it has it has basically left forgotten about the mental health piece or there has not been enough teaching around the mental health piece. So what you're seeing is that many of these departments and spaces are now recognizing oh we need to be really like experiencing and receiving a lot more deeper education and, and knowledge and wisdom around, well, how does, how does um, mental health become like relevant when we are engaging with our communities? So in other words, when police engage with our communities, oftentimes they experience our communities as being defiant, or they, or they pathologize their communities, or they misinterpret the behaviors of what's happening with our communities. When in reality, a lot of times, With like Michael Brown and and so many others, you know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't that people were being defiant, it's that people maybe had pre-existing mental health conditions that made it harder for them to be able to to respond or be compliant. Or I'm gonna just talk more even more specifically about something at UC Berkeley's campus. There were there were two young adolescent black males that were accosted by the police. And they were handled in a very kind of like like overly aggressive way, right? And what was later realized is that it wasn't they, the police thought these boys were trying to be defiant and, and trying to be rebellious and non-compliant. But the reality is that these boys had pre-existing mental health conditions like ADHD, so they had attention deficit issues. It was hard for them to be able to pay attention. It was hard for them to be able to sit still for an extended period of time. You know, and then they had pre-existing experiences related to trauma. And then they also had experiences where they had maybe an academic plan that had been developed in schools to help them to be able to engage more effectively in a way that fit with their learning style. But these police were not aware of any of those mental health issues or or how to respond or how to de-escalate when you're dealing with black and brown communities that may be experiencing some levels of trauma or tension related or or depression or anxiety. And and these police were not aware of how to interact and respond in a way that mitigates the trauma and it helps increase the safety through, the, through these experiences. So that's some of the work that, that I also do is, like, is, is helping to like, ex, ex, increase the role of mental health professionals um, in our response to our community. So, like, so we're less reliant on police and, and more of having a sensitive response around mental health um, in, in our communities. Um, and just also changing the policies and practices around that. Mm-hmm. And, 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 then, and then lastly, last two things is because of the ways that Black men have historically been impacted, I do a lot of work that's focused on how do we uplift our Black men in these communities? Because we know that statistically Black men have been targeted like, in, to an even higher degree. Many of our Black communities have been targeted, but we also recognize that statistically Black men have been targeted in a unique and deleterious way in terms of police violence, um, like school to prison pipeline, the, the prison industrial complex, and, and, and so many other things. And so in terms of me as in identifying as a black male, I lead some different groups. I lead groups that like bring men of color together and black men together to receive support, to learn how to understand themselves in terms of their psychological health, in terms of their well-being, to, 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 to increase their ability to engage in vulnerability, to engage and to increase our ability to be able to communicate our emotions in a, in a, in a thoughtful and in a vulnerable way with the people within our fam- like families and our communities and, and to basically unpack Masculinity. So, so, to, and what I mean by unpacking masculinity, more specifically, how do we unpack toxic masculinity? So, like me right now, you hear and across the U.S. context, there's a term being thrown around around toxic masculinity, and what that means is like we're taught, we're socialized as men to believe that you always have to be strong, that you always have to have it together, that you can't never show weakness, and that you can never show emotional pain, and that you know, and, and then if you were to show those things, that that, that represents weakness. But that's a form of toxic masculinity that's not African-centered, and it's not Black-centered. But really, the African-centered and the Black-centered psychological and sociological way of understanding ourselves as Black folks and as Black men is to be in tune with our emotions, It's to be in tune with collectively, how do we connect with our communities. It's And and from an uh, African-centered way, it's actually even to be in tune with equity in terms of gender, like not seeing ourselves as above, like, are like women or other genders, but actually in an equity with, with our with our with our female and women women counterparts and, and a role of uplifting and empowering and and and, and not in this privileged male privilege space above other individuals. So really helping our, our men to, to see how can we walk through this world in a way that's um, less toxic and more empowering and thoughtful and vulnerable um, as we move through this world. And and then and then one of the ways that I begin to tap into that is to teaching people about African-centered indigenous healing practices. Um, so this is called African-centered indigenous healing practices. And one of those practices that I grew up doing was called um, West African drumming. And so part of like, so professionally, I'm a I'm a mental professional, but I'm also a, a West African drummer. Or I use I use West African drumming to integrate and talk about and promote mental, emotional, and psychological well-being. And I use that to help bring different, like, like, marginalized groups together, but especially Black communities to understand how can we integrate culture with healing and how can we reconnect with Africa and African civilizations and African and indigenous ways of being that have been a part of our culture? How can we get back and re-in-touch with that so that we can continue to empower ourselves and not be dependent on the oppressor or white identified spaces to tell us who we are. How can we dig back into our history, the things that have helped us to thrive and get to this point and get back in touch with that. And that, and, and part of, one of the ways that I do that is through um, sharing about like West African drumming and how that relates to healing um, and, and uplifting our communities. Okay. So
0: that was a lot of that, Dr. Addison, but I, that was a whole lot. So what, what I do want to say, though, because I've heard this, you know, this, these young people, when, when you look at protests and um, you look at what's going on, they don't have this issue with white people. As you would say, the older population, they, they're looking to coalesce with young whites, they're, I mean and the whites are in the protest. I went to the protest, you know I've been out there these these guys are, and I'm not saying that they're more active they're free, so in their free space they feel protesting is no problem for them, but i the young people here and what I heard from Mosiah, is they're willing to partner, coalesce with them, um build with them in a way that I think the older generation wants to does not even look in that way so when when i say that evan is is that something that um is viable or is that effectual for them because they're looking to do that and t- to me those are the folks who, who we're having issues with but they the young people are revolutionary so what do we do
7: I'm sorry, could you uh, restate the beginning of the question one more time? I was still kind of gestating on what uh, Dr. Anderson had been talking about. And okay, this, I, I was just you know, saying that these, the young, that. That. these yeah. young
0: folks, uh, they, do, they do not mind partnering, coalescing with young white people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at the protest. The protest is very white. Um, I went to the protest. It was 80% young white kids, you know, and they are very adamant. And they're out there. So but these young, the young folks that we have now, they're looking at government. They're looking at what they see as examples. And they see inequities. And they don't have a problem with the white youth. So what are we saying? You know, is, are white people the problem? When you have young white people who are very present. So yeah.
7: h- how do we package that? So I would say like my my first immediate reaction is the distinction between noting white people as the problem and whiteness as a problem, if that makes sense. Um, There are a lot of white people historically who have been transformational, have been activists themselves, have put in a lot of work. And the thing that this always consistently bumps up again though, is the construct, the idea of whiteness. And And when it comes to the, the, the movement right now, right? Um, I think there was a poll, right? For the first time, there was like broad support even among white people for Black Lives Matter. The, the, the issue becomes, right? How do you shift that from, okay, this is like a popular token that I'm going to hop on. I'm going to go to the march. I'm going to absolve myself of the guilt in my field because I had, I had to bear witness to an event that was so tragic, right? How do you shift that from just almost like an individual desire to absolve yourself of guilt to actually to sustained change. And I think that's one distinct aspect that we can almost hear even among the young people who are here, right? It's, it's not that this is a moment in which they've come into activism or come into uh, a desire to change. This is something that a lot of people have been grappling with since they've been, they were born black in, in the U S mm-hmm. right. Whereas for a lot of, white people for a lot of it might be their first grappling with you know this racial consciousness um and so it's about okay how do you how do you shift from this maybe you know intense schism right This, this idea that i am a positive force that a white person might have i'm a positive force in the country and suddenly facing the fact that no i'm actually not how do you shift that right into sustained action the so that'd be my my first my first thought there um, the second one I just wanted to highlight, right, bringing back to some of the experiences that uh, a lot of the people here have brought forth, is th- it's just that there's no right way to process what- what's going on, if that makes sense, right? Um, I want to highlight you know, a lot of what Dr. Anderson and Dr. Lodge have been talking about in terms of the power of collective. And what are that, what- some of what that means, right, is I think Rochelle talked about in this moment, she's a little bit fatigued. Is that, is that right? Like a little bit fatigued. She's dealt with this before, right? A lot of people are dealing with this for the first time. All right. Whereas Justin was saying like, listen, I got more time. Like I could do this company. I'm about to be on CNN. Like he could take that energy and like, he's ready. There's game time. Like he's ready. Right. And part of the power in collective, right. Is that dynamic, right. Is that as somebody comes into it and is like, finds themselves ready, right. Some other people might take a step back and, you know, gather themselves like thinking about where exactly am i going to make my impact right that's the kind of the the strength of the collective that's that's the second thing the third thing i want to bring about also is um is the idea and i I think dr lodge hinted at it right and um you know I, i think it was ethan that brought up right that there's this uh idea that you know a lot of racism it's gonna be around for a little bit, right? Because I think you might've said that the, the people who hold the ideas aren't dying out as quickly as we thought, is, was that right? Is that, is that yeah, right? Um, and I think part of the, the, the scary thing, right, is that I'm sure you've even seen this probably some, some of your classmates, some of your friends, I know I've seen it among like my generation, is that the ideas have a way of sticking around because like whiteness has a way of sticking mm-hmm. around right people among our generation right i'm 28 i think you're 17 16 like everybody in between like we know people right that already are kind of holding on to those ideas of whiteness so it becomes not about just waiting for that for that stuff to happen it becomes about um you know engaging with the people in our generation and to do that this is the the, the, maybe the last thing right is not everything uh I wish Mosai was still here because he was doing a great job of reminding us that you know, we have to look at these historical examples, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas you could, you could cite maybe the inception, the beginning of anti-black racism, right? It's the idea that there's a, there's a black history beyond that. You, you can stretch back far enough, right? And one of the things that I've learned from being a part of the Association of black psychologists is the principle of Sankofa, right? You can go back and get it, right? If it's at risk of being lost, go back and get it. Because there are solutions that we will have for this current moment and beyond that might exist in the past, right? But it's not just about only learning history, and this is the beautiful thing that I've heard all of you guys doing, is how genius and creative young people can can be in terms of, all right, taking what we know historically and then reshaping that for the future, right? Um, Mm -hmm. We already had somebody who was an LLC, right? I don't even know how to make an LLC, but we got somebody here with an LLC, right? So how can we take, right, (laughs) what was back there, reshape it, because that's going to reshape the society, Mm-hmm. Um, and the last thing I see, um, I think Elijah's wearing the, the Garvey on, on his T-shirt. I know Masai had the Pan African flag in the back. I'm waiting to hit Elijah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm excited to hear from him as well. Um, so what I, I've been blessed. I've been very blessed that Marcus Garvey's son Julius Garvey has been like a friend and a teacher to me. Um, wow. I found out about like met him in 2016, and whenever I have a question, whenever I need to know something, he he's right there. And he just to know like this is all based in pan-Africanism, right? Like a lot of African-centred you, you, the, the ideas of African-centred shaping the mind on structuring like on, on, on unshackling uh, the mind, right, borrows a lot from Garveyism so if you're interested in that you want to you learn that and the thing that comes to mind again with pan-Africanism, so as we're being creative, this is going to be my last thing, um, I wanna hear from Elijah. I like his t-shirt a lot. Um, as, we're, as we're being creative, right? As we're thinking about Pan-Africanism, it's the ideas that our creativity don't just impact our communities, they impact a lot of the world as well. Um, and I think about this, right? So I'm, I'm Haitian, right? And we're thinking about you know, uh, police brutality in the US. You know, expanding past this, the state rec- recognizes that a lot of the police brutality we're seeing against black people in the US the, the police here are the ones who taught the Haitian police force, right? So when you have Haitian police force, that's like anti-blackness that's been manifested across the sea, right? It might not be a, a white officer, but it's a white officer who learned how to appreciate or, or to, to depreciate, to disrespect black people from a police force that is based in anti-blackness. So as we're creative in dealing with the institutions here, you have to understand that this is like a global project. Like our ideas here, the ideas that you guys are all coming up with, Right, those to reshape your community and Black people at large. That's, that's my little thing. Amazing, amazing.
0: Brother Elijah, you're here. Introduce yourself and then jump in. Talk to us.
10: Hey, Peace Family. So my name is Elijah Miles. Uh, I run an organization called Tendea Family, an organization that's dedicated to building, uh, first of all, building up better Black men and women. Uh, so, we have brotherhoods, we have sisterhoods, we have manhood classes, we have womanhood classes. Uh, but uh, secondly, we are about creating programs to serve our people in Baltimore City. So, we run a community cleanup every week, a black history book club every week, uh, community workout, uh, sisters' dinner opens to only black women, uh, among other things. Uh, and also, based on Garveyism and based on Pan Africanism, we about building economic institutions building businesses for the benefit of our people so we have the fruit creamery and Tendea clothing so for those that like this shirt (laughs) the brother said he liked this shirt It's (laughs) you get that Uh, but uh so i I was i jumped in late to the conversation but some of the things i heard was about uh that i wanted to speak on was about white people uh and movements Mm -hmm. i would say that the is white people like fully a part of the protest because the protest is not a unified, organized thing. It's a bunch of people that are concerned about a certain issue and they are coming down to a certain place in time and they pushing for action. But I don't want to make it seem as if like that in all sections of our struggle as a people, that we need to be hand-in-hand hand with white people. I, for one, I, and we can talk about it. I think it makes the conversation more interesting. I completely disagree with white people being uh, in every part of our movement. I think it's is, is putting us open for being co-opted. I think it, it, it muddies the waters. I think it's real hypocritical for us to talk about safe spaces, for LBGTQ and IS, and talk about safe spaces for 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 women and then when we talk about black people we got to include everybody no so uh in today's family uh in today's family is only black people and it only can be black people if you are white or any other race you can donate you can support in that way but no we need a safe space for our own people because our problem is not just police brutality our problem is cultural our problem is economic our problems political. And so it's not that white people are wrong or white people are bad. It's that we're trying to figure out what to do about our issues, our community. Maybe that need to be a family meeting only included us. And so that's my perspective. And I think those of us that uh, that feel, and it's an assumption, but I think those of us that feel that white people should be included, uh, one, are not thinking deep enough. But two, I think it's because We may grew up in areas with white people. We may went to school with white people. But I think when you talk to the average brother in the hood, I think the people in the hood, the people in the trenches, understand that white people can't be involved. But I think it's us, with our degrees and all of that type of thing, that we try to make the black community more multicultural, more open arms than it really is. Because the thing is, is that us as a people, we are trying to figure out what to do about us. and unless And there's no white person or no Asian person or Hispanic person that is willing to work fully for the interests of black people. It's none of them that's willing to do that. It's none of them that's willing to do that. It's none of them that's willing to say, like, the Koreans that's in our community, that's blood sucking our community. They're not willing to give up their corner stores so that them brothers that's sitting out their corner selling drugs can have a legitimate business. They're not willing to do that. They're not going to move an inch. And so sometimes with these white people even being a part of the movement, they take up space. They take up too much space. Uh, So for me, I don't think we need white people in the movement. I think we white people, if they feel guilty or feel whatever, they can support. And what I can say is that Tendaya has received donations from white people that that are good-hearted and want to support. But if you respect black people as equal human beings, then you don't have to be involved. So that's for one. And and for two, because I don't want to take up too much time. Uh, I think the protest is a side issue. I really do. I think the police brutality protest is a side issue. And I think most of the people that's drawn to the police brutality protest, is only because they got pulled over. It's a class thing too. So it's a lot of college students down there. It's a lot of people that's, um, that's, that got a little money down there. It's because they personally affected by the issue of police brutality. But when it comes to the day-to-day issues in the black community, a lot of people are nowhere to be found. And so what I would say is that we gotta be real careful about allowing the media to determine what's important to us at what time and what moment. Mm-hmm. So they determine that police brutality is the issue now, but we need to determine what, when is, uh, when is the, the, the economic issues in our community gonna become the main issue agenda for our community? When is the fact that uh, our people, our brothers have to sell drugs to feed their family, when's that gonna be a main issue? When is the, the molestation the rape that's happening in our community gonna become the main issue? If you wait for the media to make it the main issue it it'll never become the main issue. So I believe that man we are allowing the media to tell us what to now in this moment and it just happens to be police brutality and actually it's dying out it's dying out. Uh, it's not a lot of heat behind it even more because why wow, the media not don't report it they're not reporting on it no more so for, for me I'm interested in Black people working for the Black community 24-7, 365 days a year. I'm not... And I'm with us betting on ourselves, Talk about pan-Africanism and nationalism, I'm with us betting on ourselves, not trying to make white people like us, not trying to make white people not be racist, not trying to... Let's defend ourselves from these people and not physically defend ourselves. It's like if I'm building up businesses and we had a power to hire our own people, that's an economic defense for white supremacy. I'm not with trying to force myself or force my way among them and getting them to feel better or getting them like me or punishing them about saying the N-word and all that. All of that is side issues when we got brothers and sisters that are in the hood in Baltimore City, in New York, in Chicago, that are dying each and every day. All this we don't have time for these side issues of like, of, like, oh man, it's police brutality, it's police brutality. Let's tweet about it. Let's Instagram about it. Let's hashtag about it. Let's go yelling city hall face. Like, nah, nah, we gotta really get the work. We gotta really get the work. There's brothers that's coming home from jail right now that need training. What are we gonna do about that? Mm-hmm. They need job training. What are we gonna do about that? But we so focused, in my opinion, we so focused on these side issues, and it's also it's an intellectual uh, pursuit. This protest right now is an intellectual pursuit. We do it because it's comfortable to do it. Mm-hmm. But we are in the Tendea family. We are in the hoods every single day. And it's not too many. There's not too many people that's there alongside with us. They are too busy yelling at City Hall because it's comfortable to yell at City Hall. And too busy yelling at Police officers because it's comfortable to yell at Police. But you ain't going to be in the hood trying to figure out how we're going to get these brothers to stop retaliating. On each other because you might die. You might die. Because they know that they're carrying illegal guns. They know murdering you is illegal and they will do it. But we're not really about being in the trenches and really fixing the issues that our community have so that we can have a defense for everything. Uh, because, in my opinion, I don't think we on a lot of us honestly really care about the brothers in the hood. I think we just like to intellectually masturbate about these type of issues, and that's my issue. Uh, But I said I wasn't going to take up too much time, so that's what I had to say so far, just listening in.
0: Brother Elijah, you brought power, bruh. You burned us up. Woo! Okay. Just as I know I I acquired you, I know you're ready. Because Elijah just burned us up. He said intellectual masturbation. Did you hear that, (coughs) Brother Man, oh, man. I'm telling you. Come on with That was deep. Brother Elijah, I'm touched.
3: Like, really, like like, everything you said ain't nothing was a lie. Like, nothing, nothing was false. Mm -hmm. Everything you said was right. You know, like, I agree with you 100%. And it's, like, at the same time, you know, like, just like how Miss Queen said, you know, like, you have these, you know, like, white people that's, like, in a protest. And I'm not gonna lie, like, kind of changed my mind because, like, the way I thought about it was, you know, I was like, all right, you know, cool, like, white people was like, white people's like, you know, attending these protests with Like All right, cool. So maybe they just might listen, right? Maybe, you know, maybe police were like, hmm, all right, cool. So, so you're like, obviously this issue is like, is like more important, right? Because like, white people is there, you know, because apparently they don't listen to us. You know, so, like, may- maybe, just maybe, since, since, you know, like, some white, some Caucasians, you know, are there, maybe they, there is, maybe they just might listen. But it's, like, at the same time, just like how you said, like, why are we trying to, like, like why are we trying to get on that good side? You know, like, why are we trying to beg them not to kill us? Why are we trying to beg them, you know, to accept this? At the same time, you know, we have to be better. And that's a capital W-E because we have to be better with our community, you know? And that goes with like supporting our businesses, you know, that goes for like, you know, like stop, you know, killing each other. Like, you know, like I really like, you know, talking, it really made me think about a black Wall Street, you know? And like what that was, you know, like literally, if you think about a whole black utopia that was literally what black wall street was um uh you had you had you had like a bunch of um bunch of black people you know like like left like left the inner city he said you know what i bet say let's keep that same energy you know i'm about to go start out you know i'm about to make my own civilization and literally that's what they did but at the same time you know like once one once when you know white people feel as though that like 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 black people aren't dependent on them as soon as we get independent you know then that's when there's a problem then when that's then that's when like they trying to silence you you know then you know that's like that's that's when you have to be canceled when you're talking the truth you know nick cannon like literally like anytime you know you're speaking the truth anytime when somebody see you like like really making a movie movement, Colin Kaepernick, you know, any time when, like, when, like, you're really on the pinnacle of, you know, creating that change, then when stuff, then, then that's when, like, shit hit the fan. So, long story short, Black Wall Street literally got burned to the ground, you know, and it's, like, at the same time, I'm fed up. I'm 19 years old, and it's, like, I see my brothers and sisters, you know, like, dying left and right, because there is, there is this disconnect, you know, along with the intergenerational conflict, you know, because uh, between the, between the adults and like, and like the youth, you know, there is like a huge, there's a huge gap, you know, between ourselves. So I feel as though like, you know, so like before, you know, we even talked about, you know, um black versus whites, you know, like all of this other stuff, you know, we had to look At what's the root of the problem? And at the same time, you know that root of the problem is 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 ourselves. We need to work on ourselves. We need to work on funding each other. We need to work on to love each other. We need to work on you know people rather go to Olive Garden than rather go to taste this. Wow! Oh! 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 No! Oh! It's like oh! I always ask people like day day after day. I'm like hey yo like you trying to go to this black owned business? Nah yo they too expensive. But they the same people who would rather go to Valentino's. Like, yo, what? You know, and it's like, at the same time, like, really, Like I remember when the whole protest, you know, was going on. People was doing riots. You know, all this other stuff was like, don't get me wrong. I understand. You know, people's fed up. I'm fed up, too. But there's a way, you know, we, we have to go about it. I was talking to my friend not too long ago. She was like, yeah, you know, like, we really need to fight the power. Malcolm X said, "By any means necessary." You know, we really need to. We really need to like dish what's been dished to us, and it's like at the same time, like, like all we doing is hurting our own communities. Let's keep it a buck fifty every time when people was burning down what, uh, like, 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 all oh, the corner stores and you know, all everything that was going on. They was in the city. They like they was affecting their own jobs. I talked to this one guy, um, not too long ago, um, he called me, he was like, I guess, I guess just to check up on me, like, hey, man, how you doing? everything right, think, yeah, all right, cool. I was, I was like, yeah, man, i like, how you doing? Oh, oh, look, I'm good. You already know, I live in, um I live, I live in the county, so like, look, I don't get, I don't get affected by all those riots. I almost cussed him out because I got pissed off, like, but at the same time, you know, like, everything. That's happening, you know, is going in our inner cities. So, how can we go about this change? How can we um, embark, you know, on this change within our community? We gotta start loving each other first. I don't care what price you, I don't care what price you, 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 you literally throw at me, you know, like, yo, if I got it, I got it. You know, so what if it's $5 more, you know, at the same time? You know, I promise you, if that was a white corporation, if that was a white industry, a white program, you wouldn't have no problem. And the fact of the matter is, it sucks that we would rather we would rather fund people. We would rather throw money, you know, at people that don't give a shit about us. Literally, um, somebody, somebody has a crab shack, apparently, you know, um, in Maryland, you know, it's like, <laughs> No, we was we was we was supporting them. Oh my gosh, everybody went to that crash site whole time. No, the person is racist. You know, I was talking to my mom not too long ago, and I I wondered, you know, she's a hairstylist, so like, it's like me and her went to this um, me and her was like going going to this hair um, like uh, this whole like hair shop. So like. I'm looking, like, before before even, like, going in, I saw all these beautiful queens, nice hair, and all, all these, like, different type of textures of hair. I was like, okay, these queens looking bad. I said, hey, mom, look, I know this is a Black-owned business, right? My mom said, no. I said, "Mom, am not comprehending. You can't tell me this is not a Black. I'm like, "Mom, you don't see all these beautiful queens over here? She's like, Jay, just walk in. I said, all right, bet. I walk in, and then I was greeted by Asians. Ain't nothing wrong with that, but the problem is they are constantly monopolizing off of us. We're the Mm -hmm. face of everything. Let's keep it a buck fifty. I go, I just got hip hop chicken a day. It's literally hip hop in the name. All I saw was white people in there, you know? And it's just like, when is it going to stop? Let's like, literally, when is it going to stop? When are they going to stop, you know, like monopolizing off of? off of our face, off of our head, you know, like just like us being the face of everything. We was already, you know, the butt of jokes during Jim Crow and even now with Gucci, with 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 Louis Vuitton, literally with all this other stuff. And it's like I hate when people say, yo, I'm trying to ride the wave. Like people are, oh my gosh, no. Gucci is canceled. Yo, do y'all remember how long that lasted? A month. Literally a month. Those same people was rocking Gucci like, nah, yo, at Gucci. Blase, blase, blah. the next month, you still see them with that little, you know, band bands, little Gucci bags and all that stuff. So I'm tired of this riding the wave mess, man. Look at all that, man. Yo, like, on some real, when are we gonna stop BSing and we'll be gonna stop? All right, yo, Cheddars, yo, who you work for? All right, like, let's start putting each other on into our own business. Let's create nepotism. Let's create generational wealth. But at the same time, we still gotta take account. Once when we do that Nancy Hustle, they're gonna try to kill you. Because why? Because you're becoming independent, not dependent, and they freaking hate that. that so really, right. it's time for us to create a change,
0: man. I hear you, Justice. You coming? Yeah, All right. Change. Wait a minute, Ethan. Let me let me get some girls in here. You know, we need some female energy around here. Come on, Rochelle. You sitting on I know you're tired, but get on in here. Give us some law school. Holla. At yeah, us. I just want to. I want to
2: comment on two things. Okay. Um, and then I, I'll. <laughs> Two things really, uh, really quick before I forget. Number one, we, um, Elijah, Elijah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Elijah mentioned, you know, safe spaces for other groups. Um, he was, I, I think the point what he was trying to make was, you know, the black, the black space can't be a space that we have to uh make comfortable or make safe for other um, races or minorities. Um, but I did want to just say that, The opposite of black is not women or LGBT. So when we talk about the black space, we also have to include women and LGBTQ plus individuals. So they are the black space as well. Um, We can say that you know an Asian space doesn't have to be a safe space. We're not in that space, but I did just want to make a point that the opposite of black is not women or is not LGBT. So those spaces that are for women, for LGBTQ individuals have to be within that Black space as well. Absolutely. So it needs to be a safe space for the minorities within the Black community. I'm talking LGBT women, disabled or differently abled people. Exactly. Everyone is, the Black space needs to be inclusive. Um, and I, th- I think that we lose that sometimes because, yeah, I think white people do a lot of the black movement. Um, and it's debatable whether it works or not. But, uh, I guess a good opinion on that because there are benefits and there are also a lot of cons to it as well. Um, but I think that, you know, black people as a whole have to focus on how can we be intersectional and how can we be focused on improving the lives of our, our own minorities as well as the average well the average black person isn't you know uh cis gender straight heterosexual male it is whatever that person's identities are and we have to remain inclusive um on that front and create safe spaces so that we can all advance um with one another um also want to comment it's hard because i'm like i never grew up in the city the first time um my AirPods are dying. Can everyone hear me still? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, sorry. Um, the first time I ever like went to school in Baltimore City was when I was in law school. Um, so I've been in Anne Arundel County most of my life. Um, Towson, of course, is in Baltimore County. So I can't, I I can't really comment on, um, you know, the uprisings or the ri- the riots too much. But I, I do think sometimes black people get a bad rep when they do um, riot um, or destroy property in any way because it's like, I can't fault someone else for being so frustrated where they feel like they have to destroy the systems that have oppressed us. Yes, these it happens, these situations happens in our inner cities, but I think where we're most concentrated at to do so. So it's, it's kind of like a double edged sword. But I think that we should, we need to come up with ways that we can uh, continue to voice our frustrations or voice, um, just make people known, um, make people aware about, you know, where we're coming from. In our perspectives, I don't think there's anything wrong with going to City Hall, because some people that's, that's really all you can do. All you can do is write a letter sometimes, or all you can is call your representative sometimes. Um, i not saying that that works, but, you know, that's just, I don't, like, the average person, that's all they can do sometimes. Like, not everybody can be on the front lines protesting. Not everyone is going to, um, not everyone even has the courage to set something on fire. Like, it takes a lot of courage to even do that. So I can't even, I can't fault you on that. Um, but I think that there's so many ways we can voice our frustration. There's a diverse, um, i I think just list of ways that we can go about change, and I think that they all collectively work so i you know it takes uprisings, it takes letters to Congress, it takes you know protesting, it takes all of this to make a change so i I think that it's i I think that it's good you in, in just a lot of ways, yeah, there are cons, but I think um I think Black people, especially education, are doing a great job of just remaining focused and also just being, sometimes, you know, being that person to, um, can everyone hear me So, Okay, sorry, my AirPods just died. Being that person to write letters or being that person to take the time out and educate a white person, because I, I can't do that all the time. It's tiring for me. Um, to sit down and educate at this point, um, I'll do it sometimes, but I, that's not the type of person I I have been lately. And I think that it's also important for, I think, us to switch up our methods, um, when we do feel burnt out. Like, I have been a protester at one point, but now I am a person who, you know, writes letters and calls and do, like, I do all of the, you know, governmental stuff because I think it is necessary, um. And yeah, I think I'll leave it right there.
0: Thank you. It's a lot of forms of activism, um, as we were saying. So not everyone's going to be on the front line. Not everyone's going to clean up the neighborhood. We do need legislation. We need substantive changes. So um, it's so many forms. All right, brother um, Ethan, come on in here. Let me let you hit us with that legalized being black.
1: Okay, so I wanted to speak on something about uh, what brother Justice has said. Uh, he said something about generational wealth and uh, economic spending, and economic power. But a lot of Black people who live in the hood, they don't realize the economic power. Because correct me if I'm wrong here. I think we, I think Black people as a whole, we spend like 110 billion dollars a year on like that's not our, or maybe our businesses included. But if you realize all that money that if we invested all that money into uh, Black businesses, like or Black business that's just that was supposed to get that uh, check. But it all went to like companies and banks and stuff like that that wasn't supposed to get that money. If we actually invested as much money as we do with the white man stuff, that we with the black man, Gucci wouldn't even be around right now. If you think about it. There's so many people with clothes with clothing brands in the city, I can name like five of them right off the top of my head, yeah. and they would they would be they would be up there with Gucci. They would they would be successful right now. They wouldn't be have to waiting for a check from the government that was supposed to be theirs, but it was given to somebody else. But that's all I really wanted to say was like. Like I said, it, it, it's with economics, it, and once you realize you're spending power and how powerful you really are, and don't let every and don't let somebody that's not your color tell you what's right and what's wrong. And that, that was another thing I wanted to speak on. Because somebody may say, Oh, well Malcolm X, he was a radical, but if you actually watch what he was saying, he wasn't saying saying go kill the white person. He said that if they put their hands on you, then you have the right to defend yourself. It doesn't matter if if they if you're gonna kill them or not, it matters that you you know, you're protecting your name because how would you feel if somebody just disrespected you in front of your whole family you want to hurt them right so that's that's my that's my that's my standpoint on on the matter. all
0: right
4: powerful 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 well you got something to say on this one save me for less and so you know i got i have so much to address here um first i need to credit um miss rochelle is that how you pronounce it Mm -hmm. um because the female mind, man, just brings so much balance to so many things um, that is necessary. And I, that. I am going to segue <laughs> that into a lot of the ideologies that I consistently hear from Black males who lead great movements such as Elijah and um, Justice. And, and even, Ethan, you said something so important in the beginning, talking about how we're such an economical disadvantage, which affects a lot of the reason as to why our community struggle to support each other, right? Because when you start your business, and I'm going to use this on a personal level, so that way in full transparency, we can really understand what I'm saying here, right? My foundation is what I like to think of a great A nonprofit. It's dealing surrounded by mental health and it's targeted towards inner city areas because they suffer disproportionately the most, And that is not by mistake, right? And so, of course, it makes sense logically that I should be getting an immense amount of funding Like so many other, right, organizations on the inner city that deal with children who deal with trauma because of violence, and that's in home, out of home, just because of where they live, coming from school, pedophilia, all kinds of trauma, right? They should also be getting an immense amount of funding. That's just like logically, right, for public education they should also be getting a lot of funding, right? And so when we're thinking of things logically and what's morally correct and what's not, I feel like because as a community, we're so intelligent, we're such an intelligent people, so much so that we sometimes forget about the facts in between that affect us and have affected us for so long that it's going to have a bit of a turnaround time. And I think one of the advantages of our generation is that the movement has become so much bigger than us. I believe with my whole heart that we've been able to see the bigger picture because the bigger picture period is bigger than us because there are some black people who truly prefer to date outside of their race and they love their blackness and they love their black family and they shouldn't be charged for that and their black car shouldn't be revoked, right? They should still be able to be a part of the movement and have those people and people who aren't black have those resources because that's what they bring, some of them, some. They bring resources, and resources are important because if you think about it, right, you cannot rid yourself of oppression without the oppressor. Does the space need to be full of white people? No. Are safe spaces important for black people? Absolutely. And there are time and places for that, which is why we have people like Elijah, which is why we have people like Uncle T, which is why we have our stokies. You know, those people create those spaces. And you're absolutely right. They shouldn't be welcomed because it's not necessary. No, you do not need a safe space because this country is your safe space, whether you're poor or rich quite frankly, because that's when classism comes in. Because even the poor whites, right, are going to get an immense amount of um, sympathy when they're on the corners and they have their signs. You know, Joe, Joe's going to get a lot more money than Mr. Andre, who was a vet. Right? And so I think when you put all of these things on the table, when you put all of the cards on the table, especially when you talk about um, different forms of activism, Right. And how far each form of activism can go, because sometimes it's not necessarily about the action, but how many people are behind that action? Because there's power in numbers no matter what you do. And that has been a proven fact every single time. And I think what gets lost in translation is that us as a community, sometimes we point fingers way too fast. You know, we don't see results because you yourself may be trying really hard. You've been putting in the work. You have been consistent. You've been trying. You failed. You succeeded. And so at some point you get exhausted and out of your exhaustion, you're now frustrated. And so you're like, well, you're not doing your part because I've been doing X, Y, Z and you haven't. Right. And now you're causing division. Now we're divided, because I'm offended that you've pointed your finger at me, right? Because I'm not doing what you're doing and you're not trying to understand. So when we talk about community and we talk about loving on each other and we talk about what are the steps that's going to help change, we have to find that sense of community. Sense of community is communication, it's understanding, it's transparency and it's honest, and it's trust. Because no, I grew up in the hood believe it or not um but I was an inside kid I was not off the porch whatsoever uh I had my moments I would go outside I had my friends and then I would go inside I was not involved in too much I didn't really know too much of what was going on um in my neighborhood and I was right there you know and a lot of people would assume that I've never seen Greenmount a day in my life when I've spent quite a few years you know on Greenmount and um what, what is disheartening the most is that if I were to go on Greenmount today, where I grew up, I would, I would be looked at kind of crazy, like, well, what are you doing here? And so at that point, you're not even going to be receptive to the help that I want to provide you. What if I wanted to listen to you? Now you're rejecting that. And so sometimes it does take a, a certain caliber of person to be in those spaces to create that kind of safe space. Not everybody is gonna be, not everybody is gonna feel safe with every black person. You know, the saying, all skin folk and kin folk, it applies, it applies. And it's very important that we remember things like that when we talk about what is it going to take for our stepping stones to build again? What does building look like? We have opened so many doors and so many different minorities, women being one. Um, and of course our brothers and sisters who are LGBTQ and disabled, and they bring so much because they matter and they are diverse. And a lot of times they get lost in our movements of building, right? Because some of our heterosexual brothers feel uncomfortable. And that's a part of that toxic masculinity. Um, That Dr. Doctor Anderson, I'm going to play it safe with your last name um, respectfully, Um, that's a part of that, you know, and a lot of that can come from being molested at some point and not knowing how to talk about that, not knowing how to deal with that internally. And so now you're projecting it externally because you haven't dealt with it. You know, so it's so much to unpack as individuals, as family members, as friends, as a community. And we have to be respectful of each of those pockets. That respect doesn't always translate through each of these movements. They're they're all important. When you think about it, let's think of it like a plant, right? Soil holds a lot of different minerals that help the plant grow each of those things are minerals in our soil that's the foundation before we even get to plant a seed so we can't really get upset just yet if we if our seeds aren't sprouting because we haven't nurtured the soil just yet the soil is dry in some areas and it's crumbling in some areas your garden will not flourish if you do not shine light on your seeds your seeds will not grow you we as a community have to be mindful of so much because we are such a large body and it's a beautiful thing and that is that is my hope that is what i attempt to contribute to everybody who i meet because you also have to be mindful of you know your experiences with different people right Mm -hmm. um and so that that is my fifty cents because I wasn't really two cents um, on just everything that we talked about. Um, the movement is is so much bigger. Um, I'd like to think this time because we're dealing with a new a new age, a, a totally new world um, than what our ancestors were dealing with, and they dealt with it in the best way that that they knew how. We're at such an advantage because of them. Because a lot of their foundation is what we need to begin to practice. And then we need to engineer it so that it can apply to each and every one of the the minerals in our soil so that we can can have the biggest garden and just stunt on everybody else's garden so that we can have our place we can claim our place in the world because it's not just here in the u.s you know we have brothers and sisters that are in the uk who suffer you know there are brothers and sisters who are still in africa who are going to war still um they need that that soil you know even in south america Okay. Because yes, Dominicans are black. You know what I mean? Like things it's, it applies across the board. It's so much bigger than us. And and we have to nurture our soil and be mindful.
0: I love to nurture the soil. I love the minerals in the soil. That was a good analogy. All right. So, um, we're moving towards the 8 o'clock, so we're going to definitely get into more solution-based and solutions. I want to hear from the, from the um, therapists and definitely some solutions. But what I did see when you said something, Bo, about the homo, um, homosexuals in the movement and heterosexual men, I saw responses from the, from the men on the panel. So the young men on the panel, Elijah and, and Brother Ethan. So, you know, I, I always wonder about that because King had everyone around him. You know, they—they, um, they, you know, they were in such dire need. You couldn't really look at sexuality. You know, you um, and and Dr. King was a a brilliant man, but he he was known to to be a promiscuous man. So I mean, th- this is what history is saying. So what I'm I, I want to know? We have to get past looking at sexuality and all these different things in our in our. Um, in our race as Black people, because we have so many divisions. And I, I think it's very important, especially when, as you're young, is to is to grow and be open to Black people and not really the exterior things that, that they're carrying. Just that they're Black and that we all have the shared experience. So I want to know, I want to kind of try to unpack what I saw from Ethan and brother Elijah. Elijah, can you come on in here and, yes. and talk about?
10: most definitely. I think um, people have been, Uh, to me ever since I stopped talking. So, so many things. But I'm going to start with what you said because you started with that. Okay. Um, What what I would say is, I think it's a myth that homosexual black people are not accepted in the black community. I was in high school. I was in middle school. I was in elementary school. I was in the hood. Homosexual black males in particular are extremely accepted among black women. Homosexual black... We have multiple yo. Know, we have multiple homosexual black males in the black church. We have multiple homosexual black males among us in our families, our uncles. I, so I think that's a myth, and I don't think that uh, the. I think we get wrapped up in the whole idea of toxic max, masculinity that straight black men have to justify or have to have to let people know that they accept. Uh, homosexual black men I, I have a trans I have a brother That was That became My sister I have a transgender I don't have to justify uh, Like Accepting straight black men And and then I mean Homosexual black men And then what I would say is Is that For as Twitter For as Instagram We say these people Get lost in the movements But I don't believe so I think It's their moment right now They on the stage uh, LGBTQ it's, That's the stage right now Is that They have a voice So I don't have to like speak for homosexual black men or homosexual black women, I think they have a platform to speak for themselves. But what I will say is, can is I that cut they in that can I well let me let me get it out. Let me get it out because we like to do that too. We like to we like to make sure that women are respected. But when I when somebody says an opinion that is ulterior to yours, then it's like let's jump in there and cut them off. So let me finish. What I would say is that also I think is it's highly Disrespectful or or just wrong to imply that black male straight passion is toxic because that was the implication that was made. The implication that was made was that the fact that I'm passionate because I love my people and I disagree with a lot of the things that's been proposed as solutions for our community. Because I disagree with that, that's toxic. Or I, I strongly disagree with it. And that's honest. I strongly disagree with it. Um, no, I think we do have to love. When it comes to love, I do think we have to love all of the people that's a part of the black community. And I think we do a good job of doing that. But I think we get into these debates because, because of our own insecurities and our own traumas. Like, who even said anything about homosexual black males? But let me say this. Far as like the the solutions that's being proposed, we saying, oh, all solutions are made equal. Legislation, protesting uh school reform i don't think all solutions are made equally we got 80 years 90 years if you keep to be on this earth i don't think all solutions are made equally i think some solutions will get us to be in the same situation 300 years from now Uh, i think some solutions we shouldn't waste our time doing it and i'm open about saying that i think we need to not so focus so much on whether School reform is the is the big deal. Everybody, all our black talent is focused on school reform. Why are we not focused on building our own schools? Why are we not focused on building Afrocentric schools? Everybody's focused on school reform. Fix the public school system. Fix the public school system. Yo, let's build our own schools. It's Catholic schools. Some of us went to Catholic schools, some of us went to St. Paul's Gilman, Calvert Hall. Yo, build our own schools. So that's that's one. All solutions, in my opinion, are not created equally. They are valuable, your efforts are valuable. But if you if you're gonna ask me, cause we got a lot of roles that we can you go go to a place, if you're gonna ask me which one is the longer road, and you're talking about I'ma pass laws and I'ma yell at City Hall and I'ma get the schools to be reformed. School, schools the Baltimore public school system is politics. You can get a change made and in 30 years your change get back is back to where it was before. So like not it's not we so focused on like Fixing this system instead of building our own. So what Tendea is focused on, building our own schools, that's part of our platform. Building our own businesses, and that's part of our platform. Building strong families, that's part of our platform. Creating a standard for morality that's determined by us and not determined by white people. Uh, but all of this, this this stuff, we I don't know, we judge ourselves based on terms that we didn't create we didn't create toxic masculinity we judge ourselves based on terms that we didn't create we judge ourselves based on measures that we that that is mostly come from the white liberals if we be honest all these terms that come from white liberals and we apply them to a black context which is incorrect and then we say things like yo like what the sister said like the sister said all respect to you but no you 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 can't just be in an interracial relationship and be saying your your efforts for the black community is completely valid. No, no. You, we, we are so scared. This is why we need a balance of masculinity and femininity because the feminine, the feminine energy inside everybody, it wants us to say that everybody has to be included. Nobody should ever be judged. Mind your own business about everything. No, we need measures. That's part of creating order, we need measures. So if a person is saying, yo, I'm gonna fight for black, but I'm gonna date white, we can say, yo, your efforts are valid for fighting black, but you having this interracial relationship, that's not cool, that's not cool. You're, you're building, you're saying you are pro-black, but you're building with somebody that's not a part of our community and building generational wealth from people that's not a part of our community. Like, we are supposed to be trying to build strong Black families because family is the microcosm of a community. If, we does, if there is no strong Black families, there cannot be no strong Black community. Like, so, so all of that, we, we have to create measures. And so in Tendaya, there is measures. And so when we talk about Martin Luther King being promiscuous, that won't happen in Tendaya because you can't have sex with people you're not in relationships with without consequence, without being held accountable. You can't be in interracial relationships. You can't lie, you can't cheat, you can't use drugs, you can't drink alcohol. You can't do those things. That's why you see Martin Luther King doing this over here, but you don't hear those things about Minister Malcolm X because he's part of an organization. We could call it patriarchal, their words, we can call it whatever we want, but he's part of an organization that's, that has some moral standards. But when we go to Black Lives Matter, or we go to these liberal movements, or we around these liberal conferences, there's no standards. And so how can Black men and women be better and create a better Black community when there's no standards in our community whatsoever? And the second we try to apply standards, it doesn't matter if I'm a male. The second we try to apply some standards and say, yo, fighting legislation ain't good enough, oh, you judge it. Oh, you hurt my feelings. No, nah, you got to know the difference between loving accountability and judgment. This ain't coming from somebody outside of our community. It's coming from your brother. This is loving accountability. When my coach pulls me aside and say, when I'm playing football or basketball, my coach pull me aside and say, you're not giving your all, run harder. They ain't judging me. That's loving accountability. And that's not trauma. But we, we, we are so, we are so, we became so sensitive. Like, if we all love the black community, and we all want the black community to be in a better place, then these conversations had to be founded on honesty and vulnerability and straight talk. And if we can't do that, then we're not really having a conversation. We're having a a applause session for each other. And we're not really saying what we think until we get off the phone and we gossiping about each other. So no, like I care about each and every one of you. And I care about the black community more than I care about my life. And I refuse to be dishonest on this conversation. No, I don't believe that all these solutions are created equal. Not at all. They're not created equal. It's some solutions, if we want to dig into it and break it down, it's some solutions that ain't going to get us out of this situation. It's going to keep us in this situation. You can fight schools for the next 300 years. Fight, fight their schools for the next 300 years. But we're not going to really get some until we stop fighting that uphill battle and build our own schools. We can fight Uh, the fact that the government is doing us this way or doing that way. But until we build in ourselves so that we can defend ourselves physically, economically, mentally, socially, culturally, from that stuff happening, then we just talking. And so I'm not going to ever be in agreement with those solutions. I think those solutions have done what they could do. This is not somebody, the sister said it. This is not Martin Luther King time. What law are we trying to get passed? What law are we trying to get passed? Drugs are already illegal. Let's get them out of our community. Guns, the guns the brothers is carrying they're already illegal. Let's get them out of our community. Like, what law are you trying to get passed? You're not going to legislate our way out of poverty. We're not going to legislate our way out of poverty. The Koreans are there. The Indians are there. And if you want to put your community back, you got to economically fight for it. You got to build businesses that are superior to theirs and hire our own people and shop black. Those are standards. Those are standards. And so anything else other than that to me is just it's just talk. That's how I feel about it.
0: Completely powerful. Completely powerful. My man man. So Ethan, let me let you talk, then we're gonna get these seconds. Can, uh, can
1: I respond
0: real quick because I did have a response to Elijah?
2: Okay, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Ethan. I'll let you talk. I promise. I'm not gonna take long. I want to say, I'm not going to assume your sexuality, I'm not going to assume your background, Elijah, but I do not want this, your comments to over, uh, I guess, power the rest of the conversation that we have had. I do not think that you can say that you think it's a myth that homophobia and transphobia exists in the Black community. That's just not true. If that were true, then we wouldn't even, I wouldn't even have brought it up. I can say that I am a member of that community and I have faced homophobia within my community. A lot of times more than any other racial community. So again, it's like, I think even with the language you use, um, constantly saying, you know, calling gay people or LGBTQ individuals, homosexuals, or just saying that you have a trans sister who used to be whatever, I don't think that language is even inclusive for you to say that that's a myth because that language reasserts that that myth isn't even a myth there is phobia in the community and we have to we have to include other communities within our community to ever get stuff done and I think that no matter what you can't help who you fall in love with so shaming people who are in interracial marriages is counterintuitive I really do believe that just because they're not with someone who is black does not mean they're not black doesn't mean that they can't fight for their Black kids that will be Black. Mixed people are Black. Like, we have to have these conversations. We have to be inclusive because no matter what, we there's going to be diversity within the Black community, and we have to respect that. We can't say that, oh, any type of phobia is a myth, while also saying that if you're Black, you you shouldn't date someone who's white. That's a phobia as well. And we have to... If, if you can't, I think, respectfully speak on it, then you should just shouldn't speak on it. And I'm, I'm saying that to be respectful. I'm saying that because I want us to be inclusive as a community. I want us to have these conversations and not deny other people's blackness just because they can't start a family. There are some cisgender women that can't have children. Are they not black? No, they just can't have children. And so we can't shame people who can't start a black family because we're not on this earth to start a family, we're on this earth for like, just because we were brought on this earth, we don't have a purpose, we will make our own purpose and you can't decide or downplay any other's purpose or any any other person's life and how they want it to be played out. And I think that it's a respect thing. And I think that we should want happiness for black people, no matter who they're with, no matter what gender they are affirming themselves as,
8: I
0: think that we should just be inclusive. And once we are in a black, you you chopping, come on.
1: So I like to be factual. I'm I'm a very logical person. Even when like even with my mom, we'd be having some logical conversations and her emotions get involved. But I'm gonna say it like this. So I it's three things I wanna say. So the whole uh thing about what Mr. Miles said, uh he said that uh that it's, it is uh, gay people's time to shine. I firmly agree with that. Because if you think about it, that's all you see is people white, black, orange, whatever color. They're just on Instagram, Snapchat being openly gay Is it's their time to shine. I firmly believe that. Now, with the, the thing with black people, though, this is my second thing. So it's been many times that that the government or just the FBI, CIA has tried to eliminate the black race, you know, with the trials in Oklahoma, where it was giving people uh, syphilis and going to Africa, giving people AIDS and find out that they, uh, they like, our genes can deny AIDS. There was times where uh, Richard Nixon's advisor, Henry Kissinger, who was openly racist, like, he was a member of the Ku Klux Klan, he said that the only way that we could eliminate the black race is by having them lead uh, the LGBTQ uh, plus initiative or, or movement. And that's all you see in social media is people that are being openly gay. And I feel like that, yes, it's y'all trying to shine, but logically speaking here, it's helping. It's also, it may be helping y'all, but it's also destroying the whole entire community. Because think about it, that's our American mindset, not a Af- pan-African mindset, where it's helping the whole community, not just a, a, hang, a, hand, a hand-picked a few of our community. And also, I just want to piggyback on what, uh, what else Mr. to my... Uh, I just said about, I mean, Mr. Miles said, he said that uh, you cannot date out of your own race and say that you're pro-black. Because think about it. That person, you could be, because if you go back in history, like I said, being logical here, the reason why white women would date black men is because they wanted to whiten out the race. And they realized that, that wouldn't happen because once you get melanin and you and the sun are intact, you're going to get darker eventually. The more, that's, why you get, uh, that's why when you take off like, your shirt, you see that you're, that you're darker on your arms, but your chest is still the same color. So that's all I have to speak on the matter.
0: Mm, okay. All right, psychologists, you guys got to unpack this one because they brought a whole nother element with hey. the uh, LGBTQ. So let, let's talk about this. Sister Tania. Sister Tania, let's, let, tell
8: me what you think. Okay. And, and we're also getting to solutions, correct? Yeah. And we have to do some solutions. Yeah. Because right, I want to offer that too. First, let me say that I just really appreciate the knowledge base and the passion. Yes. Um, so powerful. Um, and I agree with a lot that has been said, but I do want to offer something, and I'm very careful um, understanding that there are intersectionalities to our personalities and our identities. Um, I don't want to, um, again, I don't want to divide us. These kinds of conversations, unfortunately, create division versus unity, which is needed. Um, I think we all have our um, experiences, which shapes, you know, how we see or, you know, try to describe or make sense of, of um, what is occurring. But I want to be careful um, not to create um, division because that's also problematic. It keeps us Distracted from the true goal that's going to ultimately liberate um, our people. I, I do want to say there's been a lot that's been said about what do we do? Um, buy black, um, you know, do things to strengthen our economic well being as a people. Like all of these things are, are beautiful right? What Brother Elijah was articulating um, from his first conversation was so powerful. I was having a hard time controlling myself because I'm like, yes, right? Here's a challenge. Um, The reason that we cannot move beyond where we are, or the reason that we have a difficult time moving beyond where we are, is because we haven't really understood or considered the impact that all of this has had on us collectively. Again, when we're talking about what happened during enslavement, Jim Crow, um, all the historical injuries that we have um, experienced as a people that continues to plague our community, like it's still alive and well. And the reason that we can't do a lot of the things that we know, because here's the thing, it's not that we don't know, but we're having a hard time putting it into application and making progress. And it's because, unfortunately, um, internalized racism is real. Internalized oppression is real. What I mean by that is, on a conscious deep-rooted level, the majority of us have bought in to white superiority and black inferiority. And if you hold that construct deeply ingrained in your psyche, it's going to be a barrier for you to be able to do the things that's going to promote and liberate the black community, right? So it's demonstrated when we're talking about, well, by black, well, if you go to a black restaurant and have a bad experience, you say, you know what, I'm not dealing with black folks, but you can go to a white restaurant and have a bad experience and even experience racism, but you return to that white restaurant. That's, white superiority and black inferiority. So again, in all of the examples that everyone was sharing, that's what keeps coming to mind. What's in the way is internalized racism. And until we can understand and consider that, we're gonna continue to have a hard time. So what do we do about it? Here's the thing, we have to begin to educate ourselves. We can't be concerned with educating white folks right? We have to educate ourselves. Self-knowledge is the key to our healing. Self-knowledge means let's go back and look at where we come from, who we are, who we are descended from, who our ancestors are, and all the great things that they have done and the foundation they have set, and understand that how we currently view ourselves is based on what happened during enslavement what happened during Jim Crow, all of these historical injuries where we internalize these messages and then we see it play out in the media, right? Even when we think we're being proactive or we're educating the community, there's a psychological impact when we see our people uh, brutalized, devalued, dehumanized on social media, right? We think we're educating, but it's really impacting us negatively. And so again, internalized racism, White superiority, we have bought into that to some degree, and black inferiority, until we can really unpack and really understand how that's playing out, we're going to continue to have a hard time moving forward. There are three different things that I want to just briefly touch on as it relates to solutions that is grounded and rooted in African healing um, strategies. So the first one that I really want to talk about is what was offered um, by one of our Bibles, Dr. Wade Knowles, um, one of the co-founders of the Association of Black Psychologists, and he talked about this whole African concept of Zolo Up, which means love, and it really serves to activate our self-healing capacity. So the more love that we show for ourselves and for our people and our community is really going to begin to strengthen our view of self and our knowledge of self, where we can begin to really um, deconstruct these white superiority ideals that we have been internalized and socialized to believe. So that's very important. And there are five things in particular that he wants us to focus on. Um, The first being remember. Remember who we are and where we come from. Again, pre-enslavement. How were we on the continent? motherland where everything originated and was created right who were we and what did we value we have to remember who we are and where we come from we also need to remind ourselves remind being the second concept that we live in a racist society racism is alive and well oppression is alive and well and if we don't understand our experiences through those contexts we're going to internalize it and our outcomes are going to continue to be poor and negative The third is refrain. Refrain from doing things that is not pro-Black, right? Refrain from being white, Eurocentric, and interjecting those ideas and values within our Black community that is not intended for us, that hasn't worked for us. And us, the people who are trying to assimilate or trying to adopt and really live by Eurocentric values and ideas, and again, there's research to support, that really is problematic in terms of who we are as a people. It's not congruent to our experiences. It's not congruent with who we are and where we come from. And it's really the root cause of a lot of the psychological distress. So we need to refrain from relying on white ideas, white values, um, white strategies to help with our black problems, right? We want to refrain from that. We want to revitalize by reaffirming who we are culturally, right? Let's rely on our cultural values. There are significant values and healing things that we can do that is going to move us further. And then we want to reward our, our our accomplishments, right? So we want to be able to celebrate each other. We want to celebrate the things that we are doing well. We want to make sure we're spending time um, dancing and and. and you know, relying on our cultural values and practices. We need to be able to celebrate and reward ourselves with that because that's going to continue to empower and strengthen us to do the work that we need. All of this helps us to gain a deeper understanding of self. Again, self-knowledge is a key to our healing. And the more we are able to position ourselves to raise our level of consciousness, that's what this is, we have to raise our level of consciousness by going back, looking into our history, remembering who we are and where we come from. And that's what's going to allow us to put some of these creative strategies in place where we can apply it and begin to see some progress in our community. We're not gonna see progress when we're still holding in deeply within, That white superiority and black inferiority is is how we've been socialized to believe the world to be. Again, this whole society and world is predicated on white supremacy, and unfortunately, most of us have bought into that, whether we are consciously aware of it or if it's a subconscious um, concept, but it's impactful, and that's why we can't move the needle forward. So I'm going to leave it there, and I'm looking forward to further um, discussion, and I really appreciate this space to have this dialogue
0: it was a great dialogue and um i'm listening to your zola up and love and and i'm also packaging what elijah said when you know like if you marry outside of your race or you have a relationship outside of your race it kind of negates your blackness or your ability to be black or the application of black so not, when i heard not hear
10: exactly you, what i said but
0: yeah <laughs> I, not right, exactly I, I let you say what you said but I, I mean what i heard her say was we have to love you know everyone it, that's that's black and kind of um, stop creating divisions. I, I, I mean, I, you know, and I understand that someone's sexuality I, it shouldn't be a division. What should be our our shared experiences should be our coalesce, which we should coalesce around. That's what I'm saying. I think shared experience and the shared experience is black, not the you know, not what someone chooses to be with or or what some or someone marries. I think shared experience first start with blackness. Oh, Elijah, I see your mouth, bro. I see your mouth, I see your mouth. What that mean? (laughs) Unmute, go ahead.
10: One thing what I would say is, um, I think her name is Rochelle. The sister, right. I don't know uh, about, I don't know about transgender, LGBTQIA plus experiences, as well as, as somebody that come from that community. From my experience, though, because, you know, y'all, everybody's big on experience. So from my experiences, I haven't seen it. But what I will say what I will say, is this um, about why interracial dating matters and why all these things matter. That stuff matters because we have to have clear standards about the community. We want unity, but unity comes around goals, too. It's not just shared history. It's shared experiences and shared background and shared oppressive. is goals. And so what, we, what we're seeing on this call is that it's a disagreement about what the goals are. And so what Brother Ethan is saying, uh, what the Brother with the locks was saying, it's like, some people have minded, like, yeah, we need to like, have black businesses, we need to have black spaces, we need to build ourselves up as a community. And other people are like, not, I'm just oversimplification. Some people are like, we need to legislate our way so we can legislate our way out of this so that we can be treated better in this society. Some people are like, man, we need to, you know, reform the schools and different things like that. So we don't agree on what the goals are. And so we have to have conversations. I care more about real unity than I do symbolic unity. Symbolic unity is we look unified, but we're not unified because no one is being honest about what we truly believe. And so we can unpack what each and every one of us or the different thought props, Thought patterns in the community, like what we truly believe about what's the solutions, uh, then we can organize around that stuff. Uh, because I don't think I think the black community is not just gonna be just everybody in one space and is is kumbaya. It's like Malcolm X and Martin Luther King didn't agree on what the solution was. Um, and maybe they shouldn't have had a public disagreement about that. That's true but they didn't agree, and that's important, is that one person is saying, yo, we need to fix this society and fix humanity, and another person is saying, no, we need to build up black businesses, build up black schools, different things like that. And this is why it's important. If we wanna build an Afrocentric school and we just looking like we unified, and then we have this conversation about building this Afrocentric school, and then other people, like uh, the last doctor was saying, is that they trying to insert Eurocentric ideas, Eurocentric values, uh, interracial dating, all that stuff, trying to insert all that stuff into the school or into the business or into the community that we build it, then that becomes a whole nother disagreement. So it's best to talk about that stuff on the forefront, but when we start making about how we gonna change the whole community. Some people, a lot of us, we're not even trying to change the black community. We're trying to change American society. And that's not my, that's not my focus. My focus is on the black community in particular. And so that interracial, it's like that interracial dating and all that, it's like, it's kind of like outsider religion. It's kind of like, each has to have rights and wrongs, Has to have things that's good to do and things that are sins. It's not that your black card is negated. It's not that like the drug dealers. Them brothers shouldn't be selling drugs to their own people. We know how they get put in those situations, but they shouldn't be selling drugs to their own people or robbing their own people. And it's not just because they're poor. It's not just because they're starving. In some communities, if you was in an Asian community, you may say death before dishonor, meaning I'd rather die, I'd rather starve before I sell drugs to my own people. So it's, it's different. So the point is is that we know they shouldn't be doing that and they not, their black card is not negated if we say that selling drugs is wrong. It's just we want to be clear as far as the, the, the measure, the measuring stick. We want to be clear about when you are acting, doing something is wrong as a black person that we can say, oh, that's not something that we want replicated in our community. Uh, that's not good. And, I, and one thing I will say lastly is that, um, well, second to lastly, because I want to get some solutions because I don't, I don't want to take up the rest of the time. Yo, one thing I would say is that For solutions, we got to join organizations that we believe in. We have to join organizations that we believe in. Even if we disagree ideologically, it's easier to unite 10 organizations that have 10,000 people than unite 10,000 individuals. It's way easier to unite organizations than it is individuals. And so don't stay on the sidelines. Join an organization and dedicate your time, money, energy, whatever, into that. And try to get your organization to unify with other organizations because we're going to continue to have this debate. But if Malcolm or the nation of Islam uh, would have sat down with the SCLC, Martin Luther King's organization, or SNCC, or CORE, then it would have been a different situation. You can't have this debate all the time and expect us to be unified. Uh, So I would just say that, but I would also say, man, let's strive for real unity, and let's think about what the black community, not American community, what the black community has to be like to not only survive in America, but thrive in America and compete against these other communities. Because it is a competition for resources, because resources are scarce. So we have to figure out how can our community compete and thrive. And I think that comes with schools, that comes with owning our own community, owning the business thereof, hiring our own people, getting crime out of our community by by hiring our own people, uh, and, and different things like that. And I think the legislation, the getting politicians in office, uh all of that stuff is secondary to this to this fundamental stuff that I'm talking about.
0: Brother Evan, come on in here and kind of um give give us some solutions and kind of touch on what these brothers have put out here. All, all of my great Elijah
8: and
0: Ethan Yeah, I'll push all the of women off the panel, bro. So much, y'all! coming so powerful
7: from Brother Evan? <laughs> I to, there was a very, very, good point made early on about not letting you know media distract from or control the narrative around our movements, right? Letting the media distract from, and I guess I want to bring that up again here when we talk about the degree to which we think uh, trans people, LGBT. TQ people have been centered in the movement because, right? That's uh, kind of what we almost talked about, right? Was is there time to shine? I'm seeing shine as I see them a lot in the media. I see them a lot on social media, right? And there's a difference between what we see in the media and people's material condition, right? So, so when we think about the the plight, right? I, I think uh, um, uh, I think Rochelle brought up very nicely her own experience, right? Of listen, I deal with this pain every day of my life. You can't tell me that. I've been centered because I don't feel centered, right? And so as we're having conversations like this is like a, a blessed circumstance, right, where we could sit across from people virtually and hear in your experience right now, like I don't, you don't feel centered. Yeah. You feel injured, right? And not for any type of TV, what's going on on CNN, what's going on on Twitter, whatever that is. Like you're talking, you're talking person yep. that's saying like yep. I need help, right? And so as we talk about solutions for the community, it, it's more of that, right? Less of what's going on on Twitter, less of who's being centered on TV. It's like, I'm sitting across from a person, how can I help this person, right? Um, so I wanna, I wanna center that. Like, and, and two, even when we talk about, I'm using the word center right now, we should embrace the, the there's a, a solution I might offer, right? Uh, when we talk about blackness, right? The diversity even in blackness, right? Because when we talk about solutions, what it means, I heard, um, I'm even sorry to keep talking to Elijah. Elijah said a lot of people talking to him. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) But we talk about (laughs) the the primary versus the secondary ideas, right? I would almost reframe that, right? Uh, I, I liked how you discussed initially, right, if Martin and Malcolm have been able to sit across from each other, right? Because historically, we see consistently ideas and people being framed in opposition, which I would argue is like Eurocentric, right? Either you're Malcolm or you're Martin. Right, either you're Garvey yeah. or you're du Bois, right? Either we can keep going, right? You you see that, and kind of what you brought up is the idea lies with both those rich ideas. Like we have this space to contain both of those, right? Both and, right? So how can we take both of these ideas? Right, our minds are complex enough that we can hold the see these ideas, put them together to form these new paths forward, right? Because honestly, the nation of Islam, they don't have all the ideas. That's just the fact of the matter, right? We're here from the Association of Black Psychology. We don't have all the answers. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, right? It's about being in constant conversation with people from different experiences, different backgrounds. And with that set as the stage, I'd also argue just in terms of thinking about things as this is the primary idea, this is secondary, right? It's the idea that We got a lot of black people, right? You can have people arguing for legislation. They're important, right? John Lewis, the work he was doing was important, like central. And at the same time, the work that you people are doing in your own communities every day just existing, that's also just as important. I don't want to frame it as one is primary and one is secondary. There's a whole lot of troops on the field. There's a whole lot of players on the floor. I need a center and I need a point guard, right? One is not more central than the other. because with that in mind, like this is just a lesson that I learned from looking, looking at some of my own like, like Haitian history, right? You can look at Toussaint, right? Toussaint Louverture, Damn. right? Haitian the first black republic, yep. right? A lot of people don't know, he thought of himself as a white man in a black yep. body, right? He was exactly right. He was embedded within the system of white supremacy. Held a lot of anti-blackness. His whole idea for the revolution, complete Haitian independence, it was he wanted Haiti to be recognized by France, right? He wanted to be ingrained into a French system that was white supremacy. And what happened to him, right? They kidnapped his kids, right? And he died in a French jail, yep. right? Died at the hands from white Same supremacy. right? Yep. Second. Right? Second. This is a, uh, this one's a person to me, a lot of people don't know, like my great, 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 great grandfather, right? Jean-Jacques Dessalines, right? The person fought immediately after Toussaint Louverture, right? His whole idea, he gave, he gave us the flag, right? He said, I need to get all these white people out of here. I don't want anybody here. Kill them if they're here. Redistribute all the wealth. He was killed by Haitian people, right? He was killed by black people, right? So the, the issue, it's not primary or secondary, it's anti blackness as it exists in our society, mm-hmm. right? Whether that's coming structurally from institutions, from governments, from, uh, from white people, or whether it's coming from our own community. And recognizing that we do have the diversity of interests and genius to address all of those at the same time and not necessarily thinking about it as this is one, this is the other, if that, if that, makes, that makes sense. A lot of sense.
0: Uh-huh. You're, you're saying that we have to do, we have to work on our black in concert with every piece, with legislation, schooling, anything that for the black body, we need to make sure we work in concert with that and not one's primary, one's secondary. But I hear Brother Elijah saying that we're sick and we need to deal with our own personal issues and then think about secondary like the political and all. I understand what he's saying. They're both valid. Yeah. You're saying they're both valid. I get I get yeah. it. I, I
9: get
7: just want to say also um, I'm sorry Elijah, I promise after this you're gonna be if good. It's just that when we talk about values, right? It's and you're saying it has to we have to have honest conversations. But even in that they can be dynamic, right? Like the values that might be good in Baltimore, right? I'm not from Baltimore. I wasn't raised in Baltimore. I'm from the suburbs in Long Island. Right? The values of what it looks like to be black, embrace my black, it's gonna look different, right? It has to look different. Come in a different circumstance. My own protection, my own sanity, the values might have to shift. Right? What I emphasize might have to shift if I want to survive. Right? I know a lot of black people in um, Miami, Florida. So half so to be honest, half my family is Asian, right? So um, what it looks like to be in in miami and florida right negotiating citizenship as a black person that the values might have to shift they might have to look distinct maybe there are certain core things like respect and love for one another but in terms of the emphasis right and the exact conversations that are happening those are going to always be shifting those are going to always be changing so how do we have these conversations with each other in mind uh zola up like dr lodge said while at the same time recognizing that the problems the solution are going to be in constant flux it's like water right It's going to be constantly running and just embracing that
0: mm, powerful all right dr to take us out of here
9: yes indeed thank you thank you appreciate it man just feeling so moved by everything that folks have shared such deep and profound insightful thoughts and comments and i i really just want to what i what i want to hold is how we can continue to bring all of us together And and recognizing how much collective wisdom that we have in this space, and really grounding us within that, while also like appreciating the, the, the unique divergent ways of thinking about the solutions and the ways to move forward. And like folks, like folks have said, we can hold there's a dialectic, we can hold there's a complexity um, and dynamic around how we move forward. And, and that's okay. So we don't, it doesn't just have to be one solution. It doesn't have to just be one way to move forward. It doesn't just have to be one value system. We can honor that based on whatever our contexts are, based on whatever the regions are of the country that or the places around the world are that we're in, that we can honor and respect whatever those folks values are and, and figure out a way to move forward. And the word that I'm gonna use is I, I, I'm trying to ground us in, in solidarity solidarity across communities, solidarity, and, and then let's talk about it in terms of black diaspora. And and I'm I'm also aware of like, you know, we have many different frames of thinking in terms of how we move forward Pan-Africanism, like Garveyanism, and and many other different ways. And then like the folks who would see themselves aligned with Martin Luther King or Malcolm X and, and these people had different philosophies around how we should advance like black folks, right? Um, and I think it's okay to have those differences of opinion. And, but at the end of the day, I do think we still have to find a way to what is our commonality in terms of a black diaspora, in terms of how do we move forward, or, or what are the multiple ways to move forward. And we cannot get divided. We, we, cannot, we cannot, because the white supremacy is already going to separate and divide how we think. And, and essentially to say divide and conquer, white supremacy is already going to be contributing to that with. Anti-blackness is going to cause us to look at ourselves and then divide ourselves and not believe that we can work together. And and, and all of these things are going to undermine and sabotage our ability to be able to unify and move together. So we got to kind of stay locked in with like, even while we have our unique views, how can we like understand each other? How can we actually listen a little bit more closely? And how can we understand each other a little bit more deeply? And part of the way that 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 has to start, it got to be grounded in love. Like, folks, on this on this call right here, even right now, it's got to be grounded in love. And I'm really I'm feeling this because I'm thinking about our women that we had on the call. And as black men, especially we got black men and women, we got to be empowered. That's one of the dynamics, the the, the identity politics. But we can't be divided across the gender stuff. We can't be divided across the sexual. That's okay to have differences of like. How, how people might think about all the identity politics, but we cannot alienate each other like if we try to move together because we can't afford to as black folks. Like, you know what I'm saying? We need all of the people who are connected in the black, like in, in, in our black identity in any way. We need those folks. You know, we don't necessarily, we're not dependent on non-black folks to advance, but we need to be calling in our black community in a way for how do we move forward through the, through these times we, we have to, right? And so the way I, and, and not that my perspective is right or anything, but but I hope that, when I'm thinking about even what happened on our call, the process here. So we had, you know, I think her sister, Rochelle, she spoke about her experience. She was actually really vulnerable and transparent mm-hmm. and she talked about how she felt unseen and invisible and, 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 and at harm, like, and I think she said in, in terms of identifying um, as a member of LGBTQ within the community. And so I see her and her pain. And that, and feeling invisible and and, and unseen, right? But then I also hear my brother, my brother Elijah, so is so profound, so powerful, insightful, talking about a different type of like pain and, and harm that that. And I don't know how Elijah identifies, but I'll just say what he was speaking towards the issues is in terms of like cis-hetero black men are also pathologized in a different way, where cis-hetero black men are constantly scapegoated and 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 told that they're patriarchal and they're to- they're blamed and they're and they're. Unfairly labeled as hypermasculine and patriarchal and and toxic to uh, to all other communities. So so there's a blame, there's a miss, there's a there's a misattribution of the harm and the violence that's occurring in our communities as being all layered onto cis hetero black men when that's actually not accurate and it's not the reality. And, and I'm gonna tell you, when we say let's speak facts, my brother, like uh, Ethan right here, I appreciate he said let's speak in facts and logic because so many times when we're having these conversations as a community, we're only speaking from our anecdotal personal experiences and we're not speaking grounded in research. We're not speaking in, and it don't gotta be an academic peer reviewed article, but we gotta read something. We gotta look at cite some facts, some statistics. And like right now, I'm just, I'm not pubbing. I'm not like pubbing this book at all, but like when people talk about black men, they, they, don't, they don't have a full Thank accurate you. account of black men, but this is the one of the books that has most accurately by Tommy Curry, that has most accurately what but is that? The Man Not. It's called "The Man Not" by Tommy Man Curry. It has done the most thorough analysis of like understanding black men from many different identities within this U.S. context and also internationally, in terms of understanding statistics around the harms that black men experience the harms that are said that black men like perpetuate, which is actually really inaccurate in terms of how white academia talks about it in terms of like scapegoating black men. So this gives a really good account of really creating a a more accurate narrative of like how we should really be viewing black men and talking about black men in these spaces, and what would just happened, even transpired on this call, was an example of that. We we what was what was the dichotomy that happened was black men placed cis hetero black men placed in opposition to our LGBTQ communities. But that's that's that that then that distracts us again, and it undermines us from being able to unify and move together. Now I respect now what I appreciate about what I appreciate about what Elijah was saying, and I actually I think all of us had important points and wisdom, right? What I appreciate about what Elijah is doing, which a lot of people don't do, is Elijah is at least being honest about what his values and his views are, even if people don't agree with it. And a lot of times in our black or non-black communities, we'll be saying something, but we're not saying what we really think, or we're not being 100 about what our actual beliefs are. So we can't even begin to arrive at getting on the same page because we're not speaking on whatever we see as our own truths. So I can see Elijah is at least trying to speak from his own truth. Not that that has to be everybody's truth, but I can I feel Elijah speaking from his own truth, and then I and I feel Rochelle speaking from in her in her way her truth. And yeah. then, so in other words, truth is relevant. So we can't denigrate Elijah or Rochelle or yeah. whoever for whatever the truth is. So we have to, especially if that's not our personal experience. We yeah. have to. So if we didn't that that means it requires a little bit more work from all of us, right? It requires more. That means that I mean, like that that I got to be willing to like understand. All the other communities that I don't personally identify, or at least try to understand, and not just and not speak or denigrate them before before I at least understand what is the reality of statistically and the materialistic conditions that those communities. And we all have to be committed to that, uh, because, because if we just denigrate communities without having that personal experience, then that's like that's an easy way. That's a cop out. It's that we're not committed. You're not really committed to you. We're not really committed to unity and struggle and advancement. If we're not really committed to fully understanding how all the ways that blackness manifests across our community and the diversity so we got to be willing to do more work like read more about all the ways that manifest in our community and then try to at least understand and then we got to be willing to like we don't have to you don't have to be we don't have to build with everybody in our communities but but we got to at least be willing to occasionally have conversations with and i appreciate what the other piece elijah said um, and I'm, I'm i'm trying to like name like different things that i think people appreciate it that we can that that can all work together to like help with solutions um, Elijah talking about joining a black organization—that's another piece. Like, so we talk when we. I think that the issue that, that people get lost in, or that I think some of the the debate or controversy that happens is, is is when, is when so people create an antagonistic relationship between blackness, sexuality, and and then and then g- the gender piece. And when and when, but then the, all those things are actually constantly coalescing, right? Uh, but the thing that I think we can be historically accurate about is historically when civil rights happened, when black folks were taken from Africa to America, like what was that grounded in? Like why were black, and that was largely race-based initially. That was na- initially race-based black folks, black bodies being used as energy and commodified in terms of being put into slavery. It was, it was a large part based on like race-related issues. And so we can't forget about that or lose sight of that. We need to understand and, and 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 understand that that piece, right? And then it also is important to understand well what parts of our black identities have actually opened up doors for other identities within our communities. And historically it has it has largely been the the race related piece through the civil rights movement, through Jim Crow and other things that it was initially the the racial issues that had to like be addressed that actually created space and open doors for all of our, many of our other our LGBTQ communities. Like um, our, let's say we can talk about like women's rights and women's suffrage. And so and so, I think it's just important to, to understand historically how things have evolved, but still, and with that still empower each of our communities. It can't be a like, who's being oppressed more or less. It can't be a constant oppression Olympics. Um, and like, we can be like, try to be accurate about not Cause I think what I, what I see, what I see happening, when I see these black conversations happening with black folks, it becomes an oppression Olympics and it becomes our LGBTQ like brothers and sisters being unseen, feeling unseen. And it becomes women also not just feeling but being uh, marginalized and unseen and not truly like empowered within our communities. And then that gets like put against, placed against the blackness um, or, or cis hetero black men and in a way that that is not actually accurate. And if we truly understood our history and if we were truly in a solidarity with each other we will be building towards understanding that diversity within our experiences and and not just speaking from personal experience or anecdotal experience but also speaking from stats statistics and research but also checking not just taking research and stats from anywhere but questioning where does the research come from was this written by white folks was it written by non-black folks and even when it's written by black folks like what is what is the frame of thought that the black person is writing from are they writing from a space that empowers the black community are they are there black folks that are writing from a space that that pathologizes our black community because this happens this happens as well in our communities and we can't give this the past where we'll have black folks doing scholarship or past creating policies for the black community and what they're saying is actually whitewashed or if we heard a white person say the same thing the black was saying, we would never let that be accepted from the white person. But we give it a pass to black folks because because they are black, and we have to. When we when I hear Elijah talking about standards, I do think that is one of the standards that we have. That even when people we are black, we have to constantly interrogate how are we understanding each other, how are we how are we understanding our communities, what are the theories that we're using, what are the practices, what are the values that we're forming. We can't just accept those just because we black. We have to because them, because that raises our integrity as black folks. And then it makes better everything that we're trying to do. The the the, the organizations that we're trying to build. We have to Interrogate how do we build the, the best and the strongest black organizations? How do we build the strongest black families and stuff? We gotta interrogate that within ourselves fairly and not just interrogate other communities because we don't identify with them. We gotta interrogate ourselves as well. And we have to be honest even when we have, so all of us will have biases in this space. All, some, so some of us are gonna have male privilege. Some of us are gonna have ableism privilege. Some of us are gonna have privilege around sexuality. And so all of us have to be honest in acknowledging um, that, that bias and the privilege that we might experience and, and be willing to like say, hey, step back and check our own selves and be held ac- account- accountability, also accountability to each other when we may be falling short. Because this is what I see happen. Like when I talk with like, like black folks, like, you know, and like, like at UC Berkeley on the campus all the time about this stuff. And this is what's happening on this campus, which is happening around and even happened on this call. The black folks at that campus, and, and UC Berkeley is known for a school, it's being a place of activism. All those black students, they all about activism. They protesting all the time, right? But what's also happening is all the, the communities are divided. So like, LGBT black folks within the LGBT community don't feel like truly accepted by the pro-black folks within the community. And so then like they end up having to kind of find. And then the cis-hetero black men, you know, they feel alienated and they feel pathologized by the LGBT community uh, because they they feel like they're being unfairly labeled as as like toxic or hypermasculine. And so we have to check that stuff and check our biases, like, in order to stay in order to stay unified. And then, um. With, with, with that, essentially like what we arrive at is, is just kind of getting more on the same page, stop like uh, making assumptions about each other, really being committed to understanding each other's struggle within this so that we can like land and arrive at this solidarity and also respect whatever the differences and philosophies or ideologies as we move forward. And, and so those are some of the like kind of like solutions and, and, and kind of like approaches that I think we really got to be grounded in. Um, as, as we move forward. And part of that is also very much rooted in, like, you know, what Dr. Lodge talked about with the, the pieces around, like, psychological self-knowledge self and the psychology of what is happening to us. How have white folks socialized black folks to think about ourselves? And not just black folks in many parts of our, um, many, like, communities. How have we been socialized to think, have we been socialized to feel proud and have a proud sense of who we are as black folks and about, and, and about our communities? Or have we been told that, to be disconnected from Africa. Do we understand what our connection is with Africa and the community, or do we see ourselves as like African, as, as black folks in America being separate from African immigrants? Like, yeah, we might have, we have different racialized experiences in those different contexts, which matter, and we need to acknowledge, but we also gotta recognize what is our connection across the diaspora at the end of the day, so that we can build in the masses as we move forward. Um, so that's where I, I think that's where I'll pause Absolutely,
0: there. Absolutely, brother.
9: Absolutely, brother,
0: doctor. I appreciate you. I appreciate all the doctors. Listen, Elijah, you cannot be late to the, to a the panel because you I, the panel in, the and then now we at ten o'clock and we are still talking, trying to address you in all your power. So can I,
10: can I say one minute? It's one. Okay, minute. I knew
0: it. One I minute. knew he wasn't done. Okay, Elijah, come on,
10: come on. Okay, because and thanks to the brother that just said that, man, because I think he wrapped up the conversation really nicely. So I'm not going to attempt to do that. I think. He, 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 he says some things that got my mind spinning right now. But one thing I want to say is that if we would be honest, and this is why I, it's not that I completely disagree with the legislation, the political, the, the social, the school reform, uh, but, but what I would say is that um, it's not I completely disagree with that. What, what makes me, if I would be vulnerable like why I'm so hard against it, is because it's oversaturated. Because if we would be honest, if we would be really honest, the nation building, black business, building our own schools is underfunded. It's not a lot of people behind it, but our best, our brightest, the people that went to UC Berkeley, the people that went to Princeton, the people that... I graduated from Morgan. All the people that are going out to work for black community after Morgan State that I graduated with, they're doing the same type of stuff, protesting, school reform, legislation. What I'm saying is not that all these pieces are valuable. But if we are honestly saying that these, all these pieces are valuable, then why is it not more people attempting to build our own schools? Why is it not more people attempting to, to build our own community? When we are in Green when today is in Green Mountain, we are down the hill, when we are in Park Heights, when we are in Penn North. It's not a lot of people there. It's not a lot of people that those communities are abandoned. And so, but a lot of us are working for these white institutions or working for Teach for America, working for this, these nonprofits in a safe, comfortable place. A lot of us are, are going to the hood, but we live in the suburbs. So we one foot in, we one foot out. And I will, if we will be honest, if we will be honest, Talented Test, if we will be honest, it's one side of this movement that's oversaturated with money, with resources, with people. And what I'm saying is, what I believe is that we're going to pay for that in the next couple hundred years. It's not just that you're making a choice. It's that we're going to pay for that if we fund and give our manpower, give our life energy to this solution because we're comfortable doing it, and then we don't attempt to build our own schools. There's a couple people. It's, it's a, you know, there's a bunch of people that's trying to build our own schools in Baltimore City. They didn't even graduate from high schools. They would, use, they would greatly benefit from the energy and the smarts and the brilliance of these people that, that got doctor's degrees. But, but they don't have the support because they work for Teach for America and work for all these other places. These white people that's willing to pay them to do this research. And so, what I would say is, it's not just that, like, this side is over here and we just making choices and all positions matter. Definitely. But if all positions matter, I need more people that are black, that are intelligent, that are on these panel discussions that I be on. Like, I need more of us to go be on this side and support this side because it's no one building our own schools. How many black, how many black, like, Regular black-owned schools are in Baltimore City. Not like they run on professional development. Not like they got a summer program where they teach kids and they got manhood and they teach them Afrocentric stuff. No, I'm talking about regular school. Where? I can name three Catholic schools just off the top of my head. Where's our Afrocentric school? Where's our Malcolm X Institute? we so Afrocentric, but where's our Malcolm X Institute? It's not being built. And so what I would say is, is that we have to get out of our comfortable places. A good majority of us, a good lot of us, have to get out of our comfortable places and really start to look at this other side of the movement. Because if our ancestors are real, and they are, and the creator, God is real, and I believe he, she, it is, uh, we're going to pay for this. We're going to pay for this. Because our community is not just going to get better off of legislation alone. It's not. And so, and what, why I'm saying legislation alone is because I'm making the point that we're only focused on legislation, school reform, things where institutions, white institutions in particular, will pay us to do. We're not focused on this stuff that, like for example, last point. Today we'll build a, a, a fruit creamery, a oh, smoothie yeah. shop next, next spring. We open up a smoothie shop. Excellent. With, and how do we get this money? Group economics, putting money in the pot. We taking yeah. money out of every way that we can to put it in the pot. We raise tens of thousands of dollars by ourselves, Um, not no real support from anybody else. But no one, what I'm saying is we need more people on that side. Like, yo, I'm not just going to complain about how I'm being treated in this school. I'm going to build my own school. I'm not just going to complain how we not getting hired and we getting discriminated against in these white businesses. I'm going to build my own businesses and hire, I'm going to build my own businesses with the mindset of hiring my own people and building up our community. When we have the Fruit Creamery, where's the profits of the Fruit Creamery going? It's going to further build up the black community, to build community centers, to build rec centers, instead of continuing to beg. So what I'm saying is, is that if we will be honest, brilliant black men and women, we know that it's one side of this movement that's highly funded and is highly mobilized by black bodies. And it's other side of the movement that I think is the more important side, in my opinion. Because I'm on that side. It's more important side where it's nobody. Uh, it's a bunch of brothers that came home from prison. They valuable. But definitely, it's a bunch of brothers that came home from prison. It's a bunch of brothers that's, that's from the hood. But the resources, the money, the, the all that stuff uh, from the middle class blacks, they ain't there. And they ain't attempting to be there. Instead, they making excuses for why they doing the things that they doing. Uh, and saying, yo, I, I live in the suburbs because... Yo, it's safe for me. I, I can't do that living in the hood. We got to occupy different positions while they're making excuses for abandoning abandoning, their, the black people that's really stuffing and struggling in that community. So what, what I would say is just think about just think about the fact that it's a bunch of people on one side of this movement and it's not so many on another side of the movement. And that's not that's not coincidence.
0: Okay. So I hear you saying the mainstream has a lot of money and the grassroots is suffering, but it's nine o'clock, Brother Miles, and you keep bringing power, and we got to go, bro. You done, you done took all the women off the panel, you and Ethan, <laughs> and then now you come again. So I appreciate, listen, I so appreciate this talk with Young Power, and the next time we, when we have this type of talk, we gotta I love my young black men, but we gotta have our young women too, because there's no nation without women, and there's no nation without men, so we cannot be so divisive with with our own thoughts that we separate ourselves and forget our blackness. That's all I'm saying is those young ladies they need they need your shoulders, Elijah, they need that power, and you know we have to if someone is in a different community and they're still black, we gotta try to understand that community, bro. So that's what I'm saying. We can't, we, we, we got to definitely be, have more empathy for each other within our own community. And, and then on top of that, you're right. The, there's more resources in mainstream because that's where white people are comfortable. There's a fragility with that money. So the grassroots money is it, it, it's not a lot there. So it takes a lot of us to come back. So on this call, I'm going to say to everyone that I challenge us to get in the hood to get grassroots, to dig in. We can be smart. We can apply our um, our degrees and how great we are to everything, but we gotta get with the people who actually, actually are, are suffering. And, and and you're right, Brother Evan and and, and and Dr. Addison, there there's different places of this struggle. And we need legislation and we need a lot of different things, but we also need to now connect with the hood. Because that's where the suffering is 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 coming from. We got to connect. You know, um, it, it's good to be intelligent, but the application of intelligence has to be in your community. You, you get what? That's that's all I'm saying. And I wanna I wanna commend these young people. I'm I'm commend my young brothers, brother Elijah with your power, brother Justice with your passion, brother Ethan with your logic. <laughs> I appreciate you, brothers. All my ladies left, brother, sister Bo, sister uh, Rochelle, sister Sadasia. But we're we going to do this again. We, we're not going to let y'all put, put kick us off the panel, right, sister Tania? It's not going to go down like this next time. So, That's right.
8: It's okay. I'm holding my ladies down.
0: Yeah, we're going to hold the ladies down. That's we can't make right. you clear the panel, Elijah. It's not going to happen. <laughs> so I really appreciate y'all, brother Addison. Dr. Addison, I appreciate you calling in from, from um, California, Berkeley, calling from California. We appreciate you and your genius. Brother Evan in New York, thank you for your genius and, and giving us that youthful psychology. We need that. <laughs> and, and Sister Tania, I really appreciate you. You, you really, your choir fire, what you brought to the panel, we appreciate you. And, and it's gonna be me and you holding down the girls next time. We, we're gonna have some girls here. Elijah, thank you so much. Justice. Ethan, everybody who listened in, the audience, we appreciate you guys. Um, and it's so nice to hear our young people. I know we're safe. If we got this much power, we are safe as black people because our young people are really, really a great source. And, and I think that the community is safe. We just, we just need to work on a how we approach things. That's, that's, that's where I'm at. All right, so I want to say good night to everyone. Thank you so much for this talk. Hey,
1: thank welcome. you. Be Thank safe. Thank you. Love you guys. Thank you. I appreciate it. Quick question. Where can I watch this? Like where can I go to watch this? Because I want to rewatch it. And like- of
0: course. We're going to we're going to package it. We did the men's last week. So we will package it and next Sunday it will be out. And and, and packaged and be out on blackboxradio.com. It'll be on YouTube. And we're going to do snips all over um, all over social media. So we will have it out and packaged within the next week. That's G-Job. He came on
11: in. Yo, yes, yeah. let me just go ahead and do that since that's a great question. It's a great way to wrap things up. Uh, for everyone that's listening, we certainly appreciate you. Uh, this conversation and all the great conversations that we have are available at blackboxradio.com. That's B-L-A-K-B-O-X-X-R-A-D-I-O.com. <laughs> You'll also be able to find it on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We're putting this out everywhere so everyone can hear these powerful conversations. So make sure that you are following us there so that you can stay connected with each other.
0: All right.
7: Yeah.
0: All right. So we're out of here, guys. Listen, love, peace, love you guys. Stay blessed. Yeah, love you. Be blessed. Be blessed. Be blessed. With everyone on this panel, y'all take care. Good night.
11: Right. Uh, I didn't I didn't want to I don't feel like we not much reflection to have. Like I feel like
1: we don't need to reflect too much.
11: Everything is everything was said. I think everyone had a chance everything to speak their piece. That's uh, why I'm, I wanted to go ahead and, and do the, the outro like that. Um because the only we, thing
0: that I, I, I wish is I could have kept some of my ladies longer.
11: Well, but, I mean, in fairness, they stayed the amount of time that we talked uh, about staying. So <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, um, it, did, it did go a little long, and I was quite surprised, but it, that power that Aunt Elijah brought definitely made the panel spark spark a lot of talk. So um, we don't really have a lot of reflection. This was a great um, depiction of, of the youth in Baltimore and um, the conversations that young people are having um, with psychology, and this is mental. Did you know this was Mental Health Awareness Month? I didn't even know that.
11: Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, well. I, got, I learned something today, and so I enjoyed this. I really did. So I don't have any more to say. I'm yeah. out. All right, so listen. To, this is the last installment of the Black Forecast series after COVID, after protests, existing as Black Lives That Matter. We had, um, the first part has now been released on blackboxradio.com with the women. It was all professional, a great conversation with women. And then we had on last week, the 16th, we had a a conversation with men, black men. And that will be out within probably this week, right, G? Sunday. Well, by
11: the time you see this, it will already be out.
0: Yeah, it's going to be out. (laughs) And and then we're going to then put this out. So this is a three-part series, all women, all men, and then young people. So please tune in and um, subscribe to blackboxradio.com. Come on subscribe. We need subscribers in our YouTube channel. We're looking to get to 100, right, G?
11: Yeah, so we can get that we're fancy title. 100.
0: Come on, family. We're giving some information out here. Black information. Come holler at us. So, listen. This is it. We're out. its uh is 7-23-20.
11: Yeah, that's when End we're End of the
0: um, Black Forecast, Forecast series. We out. Peace. Deuces.